Pop. Welcome to Popaholics, the show about hot takes, hotter than pancakes, where we're diving deep, just a couple of deep divers. I'm coming to you, I'm your host, Christian Katie, on this insanely epic episode of Popaholics. We've been doing all the month of, uh, what was it, April? April getting prepped for our MCU finale, and what a finale it has been. This episode is all about Endgame. If this is the Avengers Endgame. Marvel's the Avengers, the Endgame. Marvel's Avengers, Endgame, the. If you have been following uh, this uh, this month, we've been talking all MCU. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We're so happy to have you. We take a topic and go over it. We may have a themed month, of, uh, and we talk about games, movies, all that kind of stuff. And today is all dedicated to Marvel's The Avengers, The Endgame, uh, the movie, based on a book by... Stanley. Uh, and I'm here with my two faithful co-hosts, Chris Conkling and Brian Dupree. And we are welcoming back a very, very special guest fan favorite of the show from the Careful for Spoilers podcast, Mr. James Barnes. What's going on, guys? Very happy to be back on the podcast. Oh, we're so excited to have you. And it was uh, on last week's episode that I actually realized that you have the same name as the Winter Soldier. Which Indeed. explains why that series is your favorite. <laughs> Went right uh, over our heads. <laughs> normally on this show, we start off with our quick hits. That's what we've been consuming, games, media, pop culture. And we talk about what it, how it's affected our lives and what we think of it. We are skipping that because we've got some juicy, juicy endgame to get to. We are going to start off with our weekly poll. And then we're going to mm-hmm. get into the content. We're going to have a non-spoiler hot take. Hotter than a pancake. Uh, first impressions or seventh impressions, if you're uh, my co-host, Chris Conkling, on Avengers Endgame, and we'll keep that spoiler-free, and then we'll give you a very clear spoiler bumper and go into that. But we're going to start off with our weekly poll, which is very apt for this episode. Chris, tell us about the poll. How's it going, guys? You ready for this sweet, sweet poll? So last week, we asked all of our loyal, loyal listeners who they thought was a better villain in the MCU, Loki or Thanos? And thank you to everybody who participated in this poll. The results are in, and 69, a sexy percentage of you, uh, thought that Thanos was actually a better villain than Loki. And you know what? Uh, Based on my my wife's opinion of this poll, I agree with this. She thinks Loki is not a villain, but just a misunderstood antihero, and I would agree. So that would technically make Thanos uh, the better villain. What do you guys think? Chris, that I'm just means shocked. you made a bad poll. <laughs> you think I made a bad poll? <laughs> Not even a villain. That's fair. No. <laughs> James, what do you think of this poll? How did you? Um, how do you feel? I voted for Thanos. Um, Thanos, the the scale that Thanos is on, Loki isn't even on the same spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, I see Loki as just very misunderstood and spoiled. And he just really wants his way the way he wants it. And mm-hmm. Thanos had a plan and he didn't care about how anyone felt about it. And he wanted to carry it through no matter what. Clearly the better villain. Thanks. Crazy. That's a hot take right there. Brian? Yeah, it's hard, hard to disagree with that. I mean, just the context that he was brought into the series too. It's it's so monumental. And I mean, I, I love Loki and I, I think his his arc has been awesome, but... In terms of, like you were saying, James, the consequence, the consequential nature of Thanos just makes him so much, so much bigger. And, you know, it's something where, 
it's frightening, but he's he's a villain that you come to relate to on some way. You, you understand where he's coming from, even though he's clearly out of his mind on some level, and it works. It works well. I am shocked that this poll turned out this way. I thought Loki was a fan favorite, and maybe it is the um, it is the it, Chris's wife's Mick, Mickey uh, Mickey's of this world that are like, no, we love him so much, we don't even consider him a villain. And I didn't even think about that aspect. I thought Loki has had so many more movies and so many great moments, and and. We put this poll out before anybody saw Endgame, so it even shocked me. You know, I actually have changed my tune on this. I originally voted for Loki, but after Endgame, man, they, they've taken him in really cool directions, which we'll get to later. Uh, but uh, I was shocked that we had these results. I thought Loki had it in the bag. He's clearly uh, the less purple and more handsome. <laughs> Without a doubt. I actually thought he was going to win the poll as well. But like I said, and like all of you said as well, Thanos is just uh, an infinitely better villain within he, the mcu he is inevitable uh he chris inevitable. where can people vote yes, on our next poll so if you guys go to our facebook page uh at papaholics uh, you can go ahead and vote and tell us which movie you thought was better this week uh avengers infinity war or avengers endgame we're really excited to hear your opinions Yes, and that poll has no sp- – it's just a title card. I like that you did that. It's uh, If you no liked spoilers. Infinity War so much that you will not see Endgame and you want to vote for Infinity War, go ahead and do that. It will spoil neither. If you haven't seen either and you just want to pick your favorite title, that's also applicable, and let us know how you feel in the comments. Um, <laughs> Which title card do you like more? <laughs> okay, I wanted to read – I wanted to take this a moment to read a comment from one of our fans, Doug McNally, on our Facebook page. Feel free to comment. We might read them aloud if we find them interesting and uh, uh, well full, full of thought. Um, Doug says, they made Thanos much more charismatic than he typically is in the comics, and they gave him much better justification for why he did what he did compared to just being in love with the physical embodiment of death. While with Loki, they made him into a fool by the end of the first Avengers movie. Ever since then, he's been a weird anti-hero kind of position and hasn't grown in the past uh, after he got beat from the Hulk, which you know happened in you know, 2013, 2012, when we got the first mm-hmm. Avengers. Uh, thank you, Doug, for that. I think that, I think that echoes a lot of our thoughts here and is uh, very Agreed. well put. You can also give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate that. If you want to go a step further, write us a fun review. We'll read it aloud on the show. All right, guys. Ooh, I'm glad we've breezed past that. Go vote on our next poll. It's going to be awesome. But, man, we are, ugh, we're getting right into Endgame. We, we waited a whole month for this. This feels very special. And I feel like, and this is not a spoiler to say, that this was the, you know, before all of these big Avengers movies, everybody's been beelining the entire series up until the next one that comes out. And I would say that pays off. Eh, like 25%, right? It, you get, you're like, you know, if you look at Age of Ultron, it's kind of like, okay, well, clearly uh, the first Avengers movie leads up to it and all the Iron Man stuff, and clearly uh, we get a lot of stuff with, uh, what else is in, like like Thor, the Dark World, kind of, right? But it really was just... The Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. The Hydra stuff at the beginning. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the one I was missing. Um, clearly really important to that story, but you don't get a lot of uh, much of anything else or the Guardian stuff or anything like that. You know, with this movie, it pays to watch every single movie. I don't think any movie is not referred to. And the Russos even said in their interview, hey, this is, you know, what it, what influenced this movie? They said very clearly all the other MCU movies. And I think it's very evident in the picture. So let's yeah. get to our thoughts, guys. Before I ramble on, I will, I will not stop talking. Before I ramble on, we're going to get to our thoughts on Avengers Endgame. It's like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave. 
became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. That is from the trailer of Avengers Endgame. And guys, I was getting oh the God. feels just listening to How great is that trailer. score? Same. That's a good, it's a good score uh, and a, an amazing trailer. You know, for uh, and I didn't watch this trailer, and I actually haven't even listened to it yet because I was I went in completely blind. Uh, yeah, it is it is crazy to think that Marvel being criticized so heavily for their lack of good uh, storytelling via score uh, really has pulled out all the stops in the last third of the, of the Marvel MCU, and I think this is no different. But let's get into our thoughts. We're going to talk spoiler-free of our thoughts of Avengers Endgame. This will be a very brief uh, part of the show because this this movie is incredibly difficult to talk about without giving away, uh, I think, a lot of really genuinely awesome um, moments that, that you should experience for the first time. Uh, so let's start. Chris, you're our resident MCU comic book nerd face, okay? Yes, sir. Uh, I think James puts you to the test a bit. He but. does. I think James might might know a little bit more than I do. <laughs> but we you might have to put that to the test. But yeah. you're the Papaholics. You're Truth. the official Papaholics <laughs> nerd. So give us your thoughts uh, in a non-spoiler way on Endgame. Yeah. So when we spoke about Infinity War, we talked about what a miracle it was that that movie even exists. And I think even more so than Infinity War... This film is even grander and even even more of a miracle, like that it even exists in this world. Um, currently, I'm reading the the summer crossover event for Marvel, which is War of the Realms, and this movie feels like a summer crossover event come to life. But the the really amazing thing that this film does is that the same time it takes time with all the characters to make them feel, in my opinion, the most human that they've ever felt. You know, over over the last month, we've talked a lot about how uh, the MCU focuses a lot on characters first, with their superhero personas being supplementary. Um, I think this film really drives that point home while still fulfilling its mission of ending an 11-year, 22-film franchise. Wow, very, very well said. James, yeah. your special guest, tell us how you feel about Avengers Endgame. Yeah, like this this film is the culmination of 11 years of storytelling. This film brings elements from every single film throughout the entire MCU, tells its own unique story while shedding light on things that you didn't even know you were thinking about. There's so many things in this film that show you that all of these films really are connected and build up to something. I feel like there's something for every movie fan in this movie. There's great action. There's incredible performances. There's moments that will make you laugh. There's moments that will tug on the heartstrings. This film has absolutely everything, and I can't wait to get into some spoilers. Yeah. Brian. Yeah, 100% agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, I... 
until we did this this month, rewatching all these movies, I never felt super emotionally connected to these characters. And having gone through it this time around, I started to really get in touch with the emotional moments. And this movie is ridiculous. I it's so big that it's almost it took me a couple of days to actually process it which sounds silly but i watched it um didn't have to go to the bathroom which was incredible i i i, oh I waited God. two hours waited two hours surprise of the whole movie to take a sip of water and because i knew i was like i gotta make it through this movie and only the next morning i'm driving to start packing uh listeners may know i've been moving i can't remember if i've i've referenced that on the podcast but i'm driving to start moving listening to music and start thinking about it and just lose it just start crying while driving, thinking about this freaking movie. I'm like, oh my God, just remembering all of these moments from it. So it's just huge. It's ridiculous. And it's forced me to realize, and I, I tend to be cynical about these things, but this is true art, you know? Um, people can say what they want about individual movies, but this is art. I talked to a good friend of mine. He was talking about how it was reflect, helping him reflect on how he treats his students as a teacher um, and if he's doing them justice and all of this. And I was just like, wow. oh, it's... Uh, it's already starting. The emotions are getting riled up. But uh, this movie's got something for everyone. Like you were saying, James, it's it's perfectly built up. It's got fan service galore. Any references you're looking for, I feel like they're there. It's also perfectly comic booky, and the humor. It's it's got logic where it's like, okay, this is kind of silly, but I'm all for it to get where we're trying to go here. So yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough about this movie. And I'm sure once we get into spoilers, I'll, I'll touch on specifics. <laughs> I had mentioned last week's uh, in last week's episode how I uh, how I felt that um, th- that Infinity War was so uh, like, like you mentioned before so insane that it that it ha- that it could happen uh, that it e- that it even exists and it's good and it's like even watchable and I rewatched Infinity War actually in preparation for this episode I watched it again just to get my feel of the juxtaposition between these two films mm-hmm. them being kind of a a, a, a parallel piece. And I have to say that I feel the same way about this movie that I do that movie in the unbelievable, insane, can't believe it exists. But I think that this movie is so much more artfully done and is the bold, it's, it's the most ballsy move that the writers and directors could have done with this. And I think it pays off in the most insanely great way. This movie is. Uh, this is not that big of a spoiler. There, there is. Infinity War is way more action. Way more right in it. Where action scene, boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom. Action yeah. scene, boom, boom, boom. Big action scene, boom. This movie really breathes and really takes. I mean, within the first twenty minutes, you're emotional. You are. You are. There's a moment that we're going to talk about that, especially the second time through. I've seen this picture twice. That like, oh, just like I knew it was coming. It still grabbed me, you know. And it does that. It takes the time to do that for. All of our core cast of characters, while in, including lots of auxiliary characters, it, it doesn't it doesn't lose focus of of the core group. And and man, it's just like the the ways that this movie could have just ducked out and bombed and been terrible is crazy. And it reminds me of the conversation that I was having a couple weeks ago with a you know, friend of the show, Dan Kay, and he asked me, "What do you expect from these movies?" And it's like this: this is what I expect. And and it's made watching 22 somewhat mediocre movies like insanely worth it. And it is, I have to say that I, I think I'm done. Like, I don't want any more. I don't think it gets any better than this. I'm hoping mm. they prove us all wrong. But I really don't think that 
I think you can make the buildup maybe better and, and make some co- more better quality decisions in those individual movies and take some more chances. I don't know if we're going to get – I don't know if we're going to get an ending. I think this is my favorite ending to any story that has been shown through pictures. And I, I that agree sounds, with you. I don't think it's, it's <laughs> oh, not my now. favorite movie by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, I don't think it's – I don't think this movie in particular is th- like the godfather or, or of, of comic book movies. I still think I would say I really think Dark Knight as a movie is just a better movie. I think that um, uh, Spider-Man 2 is just a better just straight up classic movie. Interesting. But I would never ever say that Return of the Jedi or uh Revenge of the Sith or Return of the King or any of these saga ending movies is better than the way that they wrapped up this series. I, I don't think it gets any better as far as an ending goes. Um any other thoughts, guys, before we I know we're itching to get into spoilers. James? Yeah, so the pacing. This film is three hours long, and it really doesn't feel that way. It's like, insane. It, yeah. It's so brilliantly edited and paced. It's I just love it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's again, it's it doesn't super... have to go bonkers. It's not going yeah, bonkers. Right. It's not going to eleven. Maybe twenty percent, twenty five percent of this movie is 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 kind of maybe act, but not even that. It, it, and it's crazy how fast it moves. Yeah, I was telling Christian off mic the other day that. Um, to, to speak to what you just said, James, the fact that it's a three-hour movie and it doesn't feel like a three-hour movie is so dangerous. Because, like, <laughs> I've, in the last, what, six days since the movie's been out, I've seen this movie five times. And, no. like, <laughs> to, to sit down at the beginning and be like, I'll just, I'm just going to go watch this movie. And then three <laughs> hours go by like nothing. It's probably, I mean, I love this movie, but, like, it's going to be so dangerous moving forward in the future where I'm like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to watch Endgame, and then I'm going to look down at my watch, and I'm going to be like, oh, crap, uh, three hours has passed? I'm a father. To do, <laughs> I was supposed to do a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it is It is the fa- I think it's the fastest three-hour movie that I've ever felt. It, it just, yeah. and, and I got to say, um, it, the, the eventness of seeing this movie, I saw it opening night. I know we all saw it over this opening weekend. Um, and even seeing it at a matinee for that IMAX screening that me and Chris saw together, um, it was yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. It's one of the it's one of the coolest experiences that I've had in a room full of people. And we've talked about this with the Chris Nolan thing of event movies of being able to feel something with the audience. And my one wish for Endgame was a respectful audience. And I gotta say, I got one of the coolest audiences in the world. Uh, they there was just enough little banter at. Uh, I'll talk about one thing that made me really laugh in one of the showings when we get to spoilers, but you know, a, a lot of it was just like, I was feeling things with like 200 people together and it was mm-hmm. laughter and excitement. And then of course the the raw emotion of seeing where some of these characters journeys uh, lead us. And, and, and it was, it's such a great event movie. And, and, and those are the moments that, that prove cinema as a working art and, uh, yeah, just just incredible. Just the event, the event, seeing it with the group is better than the movie. It's like, and the movie's really great, and <laughs> I, I don't want to say that, but the act of seeing the movie is one of my favorite things that I've done in the last, like, five years. It's very, very special. Wow. It's a special thing, definitely. And we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll, we're going to be able to tell our kids. We're going to be like, yeah, I saw Endgame with an audience, and it was incredible. Like, I feel like this is our, like, Star Wars moment. This is our moment of seeing something that is just unprecedented and huge and amazing and awe-inspiring and surprising and all that. Yeah. It's our return of the Jedi. 
So if you've listened this far and you are somewhat interested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, definitely brushing up on the major pictures is going to help. The more you put into the MCU, the more Endgame is going to give you at the end. And we're all giving it as MCU fans and sometimes a little harsh on stuff. Oh, and the CGI is good, in case you were wondering before we cut out. Uh, I think they've, they've almost perfected it. Uh, I'll talk about some little nits, very little nits, just to make conversation. But Same. the special effects are just insane, and they've really mastered making 95% of them look incredible. When we come back, we're going to be hitting up spoilers for Avengers Endgame. Pop! Welcome back to Pop Hogs. We're really excited to get into talking all spoilers. Spoiler crazy. If you haven't seen the movie, stop listening. Turn off the podcast and come back and see it. Um, we're going to go through each act, each major act. We're going to split them into three acts of the uh, movie, and then we're going to give some afterthoughts, um, kind of talking about the last 11 years of MCU films and our favorite character arcs throughout the entire thing. Uh, and you know, I want to say before we get started about the spoiler thing, I think even if you had the main, I've told some people, uh, that I work with that are really, couldn't make it out to the theater over the weekend, couldn't get a good seat and are having to see it through the week. We're very cautious about spoilers. I assured them that even if you get major things spoiled, this movie is just so, so full of surprises, yeah. uh, little surprises for every character that you will not have spoiled because people are going to say the big things and that's mm-hmm. going to suck. And, and, and experiencing that with a crowd for the first time is ideal. But really, even if the big things are spoiled, I think this movie is surprising in more ways than than the big stuff. And I think that's what makes it so special. Uh, There's so-, so many little character moments that you're still going to appreciate when you when you actually see it on the screen. But yeah. I think you're right. Absolutely. But we're going to go crazy spoiler. Uh, so we're going to start with Act 1, The Aftermath. This movie starts in media res with Hawkeye losing his family. What do we think about this first scene, guys? James? Yeah, this this opening scene, I think everyone saw it coming as soon as you saw Hawkeye. Um, the moment I saw the first trailer for Endgame and I saw Ronan, I'm like, his family's gone. This is the yeah. only thing mm. that could have pushed him over the edge. And as soon as I saw his family, I'm just sitting there waiting for them to get dusted. And when it happened, I still wasn't prepared for it. It was so heart-wrenching. The way Jeremy Renner plays that part when he sees them get dusted... Well, he doesn't see them get dusted, but when he sees that they're gone and he's just completely broken and confused, it broke me. And this was just the beginning of everything else that we're going to see in this film. Completely. Yeah. yeah. See, I actually didn't. So I am not as familiar with the comics as you guys are. So I didn't know who Ronan was, but I also didn't see the trailer that he was in. The only trailer I saw for this was the Tony Stark uh, intro trailer. And... I kind of knew it was coming, but the way it was executed was, I was like, oh God, we're, we're in for an emotional trip here. Like, I was immediately like, oh dear God, how, they're really starting with this? It, it was so powerful, and seeing him lose his family and come to the realization without even having recognition of what's going on, really, it was mind-blowing. And it's something where you, you kind of, you expect them to kind of start where you picked off. But then what happens after that? Let's, Chris, let's get your comments on on this before we hop ahead in time. So I think it, it was genius for Marcus and McFeely to start with this moment. Because right away it reminds the audience of what we were feeling at the end of Infinity War when all mm-hmm. the all of those other beloved characters disappeared. Yeah. Um, and just like James, I mean, I'm familiar with the comics. I knew exactly what we were about to experience, but I still wasn't prepared, emotionally prepared to watch it happen. 
Um, James, you mentioned that Jeremy Renner did a great job in this, this scene. I think that this movie overall is some of Jeremy Renner's best work in the entire MCU. And we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, a lot of his, his other stuff later in our conversation. But I, I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> Jeremy Renner act uh, as well as he did in this, in this movie. <laughs> Agreed. Wow. Quick shout out, uh, coworker uh, D- Dan K that I was talking about called this as the first scene. Uh, we were talking about this like a few months ago, and he's like, "I guarantee that movie opens up with Hawkeye losing his entire family," which yeah, I think wow. you could have definitely gotten to by seeing the the Ronin because I know the Ronin thing was teased in the trailer. Um, seeing Hawkeye just kind of like completely burn, so it, it makes sense. It's a it's a very logical place to start. I will say that you know I saw this movie in 3D, not to my choice. I, I don't prefer 3D movies, but it, it was the best seat I could get in IMAX. And uh, I have to say, like, this opening shot convinced me that, you know, they're still doing really great work with 3D and still going in good directions. The depth of this has three dimensions to it. Even just uh, the tree, Hawkeye and his daughter, and then the background was split evenly into three different depths of field. And I thought it looked gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And this whole movie was shot on digital IMAX. And I do recommend if you... If you see it in 3D, I think that you're you're going to really appreciate some of the stuff in it. I wouldn't say it's like Avatar levels of mind-blowing, but I really do think they put a good amount of effort. There was only one or two things that was weird in that. Uh, but a really striking, powerful way to open the film. Yeah. So, so the, the way they frame this shot, I just want to add one more thing. The way they frame it, um, from, from the point that Clint realizes that his daughter Lila has disappeared, it's a one shot that follows his reaction from behind the tree back out to the picnic table where his wife and his two sons were about to start eating lunch Mm -hmm. and just following him and seeing his panic levels rise, especially I'm I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. Oh God, yeah. But like (laughs) just the sheer level of panic he he was experiencing because there's nowhere for them to go. He's out in an open field, so there's no place for them to hide. Like the fact that they're just gone uh, was heartbreaking. So I, I, excellent job to the way they shot that opening scene. Because yeah. like you feel his terror and his panic uh, in that moment. Also, I think so, the first when he when he tells his daughter, "Good shot, Hawkeye," or "Good good mm-hmm. on you, Hawkeye." I think that's yeah. the first name drop Hawkeye that we've actually had in the entire MCU. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they call um, they refer to him as his the wife Hawk. calls him Hawkeye in Age of Ultron in the house. Yeah. Oh, but oh yeah, that that tongue in cheek. Okay, it, but yeah, okay, but no one. It's still it's like very a family rarely thing. said. Yeah, but yeah. it seems like a family thing, which is interesting. Then, but yeah. thanks for correcting me. Okay, you get the crown. Uh, currently, James has the crown for comic. <laughs> Go he's, ahead, the, he's the house comic guy now. Um, <laughs> no, I was just saying, Christian, to your point earlier about what they could potentially do in the future and how they've kind of upped their game in terms of connecting the movies on the back end here. The the transition from Thor Ragnarok immediately into Infinity War, immediately into Endgame, it's masterful because yeah. the emotional moments still hit you and they're recontextualized in a way and can bring you right back in as if it's one continuous continuous movie and it's just there it's there's nothing to compare it to really it's it's hard to believe yeah and just little stuff i mean this this first scene is already rewarding us so much you see his ankle monitor and you know oh that's because Mm -hmm. of him and scott like this already it's like with within seconds it's rewarding you for knowing what's going on um which again may play into the i don't know if as just a movie or even infinity war in this together is like a good uh sequel you know as as a good picture but it's, i mean for seeing all the mcu that's certainly working um right. so then we get a uh, a shot we get we it goes to the uh, the marvel logo and we are uh visited with um uh tony stark in space with nebula 
Mm-hmm. Um, I really think uh, Nebula is the character out of nowhere in this whole movie that I did not feel like I would ever connect to super well. I think we started getting that in Guardians Volume 2. But just immediately her relationship with Tony Stark and uh, and, and seeing Tony emaciated, they're in space, they're looking for a little ray of hope. What do you guys think of this opening scene? Yeah, this this scene was, was great because, like you mentioned with Nebula, after rewatching Guardians 2, you see so much more character development and you see why she's so angry. She just wants to prove herself to her father and her sister keeps putting her down and Thanos sees Gamora as the favorite and all she wants is his approval. You know what I mean? And that's been her arc this entire time. But to see a more human side of Nebula, just playing a simple game with Tony was so much fun to watch. And um, just watching Tony give that message to Pepper, like he's obviously crushed and scared, but he's still finding the humor in it because that's what Tony does. That's how he deals with grief. That's how he deals with everything. So I love that entire scene. And I have to say that I I did call months ago that Captain Marvel would be the (laughs) one to save them from space. I never thought he was dead. I knew Captain Marvel would save them. And it was so cool to see. It's most of her. Pur- it's fifty percent of her purpose in this film. Yeah, I while while we're on this topic, and it is absolutely going to come up again. Uh, Captain Marvel's pur- purpose in this film, she's basically just living, breathing Deus Ex Machina. Like when the characters need her for yep. something ultra powerful, uh, that's when the Russos and and Marcus and McFeely decide to bring her in. But I'm sure there are I'll limits defend, to that. I'll defend her though, because I yeah. mean. They have so many scenes where she says there are other planets that need that need help. She is there to show the scale of what Thanos did because she's the one that can fly through space from planet to planet and show us the devastation that Thanos has given to the entire universe and not just to Earth. So that's why, to me, she's not in it that much. And she just shows up here and there for the big fights because yeah. she's out helping other beings out in the universe. Also, she I- breaks every action scene. <laughs> but yes, I definitely they, agree. I'll give her thirty percent now. Thirty percent of her purpose is. To <laughs> I agree time. with what you said, James, as like a world building uh, piece of information. But as far as like just a straight narrative goes, if we're taking like the MCU world out of the equation and we're just looking at it as a narrative, like Marcus and McFeely just use her as a way to help get the Avengers out of these situations that they absolutely would not be able to get out of without having a That's Superman-esque fair. character. But I, I I love that, that they, they're able to explain it within the world as to why she isn't there, because it makes perfect sense. And, like, it, it, it adds perspective on the Avengers side, because they finally realize, like, hey, uh, Earth isn't the center of the universe, you know? So I, I really do like that. Yeah, and it seems to be something that they've they've been doing with someone like Ant-Man as well, right? And I think it, it kind of... I've been wondering the whole time coming back to these movies why they have these one-offs after the Avengers movies and at this point it seems like each one of them even if they seem inconsequential have paid off on the back end here and really given some some context and this is what really feels comic booky because you like you establish someone's powers and then you like what's the the way we can use them to solve a yeah. problem so I'm, I'm all for it like even if it is deus ex marvel um. <laughs> so we com- we complete the scene and we we're we're back to earth and 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 Tony has uh has arrived back uh with Nebula and the Avengers gear up to go find and hunt down uh Thanos. 
Uh, one thing that sticks out to me is, man, it is heartbreaking to see Tony Stark. That you basically get the Civil War fallout that we've been waiting for in between uh, Tony and Cap, and it is it is devastating. It to, uh, Tony just saying you weren't you weren't there for us, and we were supposed to fail together, and we couldn't even do that. It's like oh my, it's like as Civil War being one of my favorite ones in this, like to see this finally come to a head and and hear their the reckoning. Uh, it was heartbreaking, and it it really elevates the stakes of how broken and defeated this team is. Yeah, remember when we were talking about Civil War a couple weeks ago, and I was like, the more I watch Civil War, the less likable Tony Stark becomes for me, which is something that I didn't expect to happen. Uh, that scene completely changes that. <laughs> like he he so desperately just wants to do the right thing, um, and and he's made a ton of mistakes along the way. Yes, but like he his true goal really is just to do the best that he possibly can uh and hearing him kind of like confront captain america in that scene um especially with the special effects and him looking so emaciated in that moment um it's it's powerful yeah i mean i have to say this about every actor in this movie they perform their asses off in this movie I think they all give the best performances they've ever given in the MCU. And this was one of those scenes where RDJ just kills it. Because you immediately feels you immediately feel what he feels. You know what I mean? Like his father idolized Cap. And in his mind, I he feels like Cap should have been there with him the entire time. They were supposed to all fight together and they didn't. Yeah. They were supposed to fail or rise together. And Cap wasn't there for him. And it was it's soul crushing to watch them fight. We're Dude, the, the Avengers, the moment, not the Pre-Avengers. Okay, right. You know, oh yes, that was that was a really <laughs> yeah. good piece of dialogue. The moment where he rips off the the nano the nanobot tech off his chest and hands it to Cap, and he, he like so aggressively calls Cap a liar because he he said that they were going to do it together and they didn't. That just it hits you right in the heart, man. Like because he you can tell he's just so broken up about what transpired in Civil War. That's a great scene. Also, with there's a little bit of levity. I really like the moment where Rocket starts talking, and Tony's like, "Up until this moment, I thought you were a build a bear." <laughs> and, and what I didn't hear until the second time is Rocket says, "Maybe I am. Maybe I am." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the scene's not without uh, levity, but it's it's a very uh, impactful scene. Brian, how do you feel about this scene? Yeah. I need to see this movie again because you guys are reminding me of these little – It's there's so much in this movie and I can't remember all these little moments. I What stood out to me like the, the physicality of the way he's acting here. He seems like so strung out and just completely at his end in such a real way that is so resonant and you see what he's going through so deeply. And yeah, it's it's ridiculously heavy. And yeah, that build a, build a bear line. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty probably good, incredible. This is probably one of my favorite scenes that Robert Downey's in in this entire franchise. I, I really yeah. think it's 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 him reaching down and, and going to a really great place um, mm. th- that we he doesn't get to flex as much because he's always doing the kind of thing. I think a little bit in Civil War he gets there and at the end of uh, yeah. Infinity War, but this is just this is just fantastic. Um, and it's getting you up, you know, uh, Brian. I don't blame you. Throughout this entire movie, I'm glad I saw it a second time because the first time through, I'm just writing. Like, I'm not That's even it. notating anything. I'm just like, <laughs> ah. Anyway. So they gear up. Captain Marvel's like, I'm a badass. Let's go kick Thanos' ass. And like, <laughs> and we're like, I- I'm sitting in the movie theater. Everybody around me is just kind of like, all right, I guess they're doing it. And then it cuts to credits. And they're on their way to go fight Thanos. All right. And we're like, okay, I guess they're going to. And you- you're thinking as like, 
knowing how these movies go, you're like, okay, well, they're going to get their ass kicked, and they're yeah. going to have to figure out how to recoup. And they go all the way to the Thanos planet. You see Thanos, and he's kind of a bumbling old man who's kind of like, I've done a good day's work. <laughs> and, and <they laughs> old man farmer up, Thanos. And, yeah. and a great moment from Josh Brolin and really just like solidifying um, his mission and, and his whole goal of, of what he was trying to do. And then just slicing his head off before he's in, halfway through a sentence, blurring out and cutting to five years later. What the fuck? Literally... When this happened, someone in my theater said, "What the fuck is this movie about?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so incredible! I, it, like uh, even before they chop his head off, they like basically ambush him in his own home. He's just trying to cook a fucking meal, <laughs> like he's adding a pinch business. of salt. So exactly. quiet, and then <laughs> they bust in. They like pin him, and then Thor chops his arm off. Like that's that's just like the beginning of this horrible moment <laughs> for this. This poor man who's just trying to make dinner. Just trying but to watch the sunset on a grateful universe. Even <laughs> even before we get to the garden, I do want to uh, make reference to this really cool shot, one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. It's right before they take off from Earth in, in the Benatar, and right after Rocket asks, like, who's been to space mm-hmm. and whatever. And they're about to take off, and you can see Captain America grip the arm of the seat, and then there's this sweet shot of the stars just like passing by them in his mm. pupil. It's got the like they did such a good job of framing these moments in this film. Just like the the first scene with the Hawkeye and his family, like they did so many interesting things, uh, and I, I just really love the way they're uh, telling the story visually in these moments. It, it's such a cool shot. And you can I was sense just that gonna he's really talk nervous. About that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. It's, no, you're good. It's such a good scene because we keep forgetting that Cap is a man out of time. He's right. from the 40s. He saw the helicarrier. He was extremely excited about that. And now he's in space. He just went through hyperspace. Like, this is, this is a whole new experience for him. And I, I absolutely love that scene. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah. So what do we th- what do we think about this whole uh, just taking out just subverting expectations? Snoke and Thanos, right right from the get go. Snoke, I mean, Snoke, and by the I, way, is I, a new I, verb I've made for taking out the villain in. before the end of the uh, climax. <laughs> Spoilers for Last Jedi. <laughs> go ahead, James. But um, I had a theory for this movie, and um, we'll we'll get there as far as like what the plan was after this. Um, so. When I saw that the stones were missing from the gauntlet, I'm like, well, this explains what happens later on. This explains why they have to do what they have to do this way. So I love that scene. I love that Thor just goes straight for the arm, cuts his head off. They ask Thanos for the stones, and we find out that he's used the stones again to destroy them. You know, you can see the look on Thor's face. He is so broken by this. He was already broken before, and now he was given hope. And now that hope has been stripped away from him all over yeah. again. And then that's why he just goes straight for Thanos' head because what's the point now? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to kill you for killing my family, for killing my friends, and I'm just done. You know what I mean? Can... It... So continue. continue. No, go ahead. You can tell in that moment that, like, even chopping off Thanos' head, like, he doesn't have get any satisfaction from doing it. Because, like, yes, he finally went for the head and he finally defeated this this man that has uh, given him so much trouble, um, but there's no satisfaction. He, he gains no relief from, from killing him at all. It, in fact, it just makes it worse. 
And Thanos knows that. And, you know, that's part of like, no, the mission's over. I took care of it. I won. I, I, and he says the greatest, oh my God, the thing that solidified Thanos as like one of my favorite villains. He goes like, I am inevitable. <laughs> and then it plays it, you know, he rests in the garden. It's very biblical. You know, it's very, very, um, he's, he's very much playing up on the, the, the uh, theology of it all. Yeah, and he really is inevitable because, I mean, the snap has to happen. If if you are a fan of time travel, you would say that the snap is a fixed point in time. It has to happen no matter what. And he's right. He is inevitable. What he has done will be the thing that everyone remembers throughout time. You know what I mean? And it's it's a yeah. great line. Mm-hmm. Brian? This just this just threw me off. I'm I'm not one to <laughs> to, <laughs> to speculate on movies going in. I had watched all of these, and I was I've just kind of been along for the ride, and I was I was blown away. Uh, it was it was kind of like a uh, the Star Lord moment for for Thor for me, where it's just like pure frustration without any real satisfaction, and and really maybe even self hatred coming from it with just not yeah. being able to to get what uh, what you're trying to get done done. But yeah, this is one of the boldest things I've ever seen on screen. I think it was just like, where do we go from here? Yeah. Uh, how, how do we, how do we continue? This is the first third, the and first how did 20 you minutes. How did you feel when you saw the five years later and there was darkness in the theater for like what felt like 30 seconds the first time I watched? I think it's more like 10 seconds or 15 seconds. Dude, but in, in my theater on opening night, there were audible gasps from, from the audience. Like it, it, it was insane. <laughs> People think, realizing that, like, oh, damn, the Avengers failed twice. Yeah, that's I, not good. <laughs> I think we had so many. Que- this is the smartest thing the writers did. We had so many questions about the snap, and was like, it's just going to get undone. And the craziest thing about this movie is that it does get undone. Ninety-five percent of every bad thing that happened gets undone, kind of right of of the loss of the characters. And yet the movie earns it so much because it allows all of the characters that are left to deal with that and it changes them forever. Like every yeah. character feels the weight of it. Right. And, and the fact that they wrote that into it and said, no, it has consequences. Maybe it's not that certain people are forever gone, but that this actual ch- changes, the actual weight of death changes the characters that are left behind, I think is so powerful. So we get the five years later. And we cut back to a world that has been without half its population, half of its life, and uh, it opens up with Captain America talking to a self-help group uh, of people that are just trying to get over what has happened. And we go into catching up with all of our characters, leads us into Ant-Man coming back from the quantum realm and starting the mission. What do you guys think about revisiting uh, uh, Ant-Man and, and Captain America and and uh, Romanoff, uh, Black Widow in this, these moments and, and, and feeling out this five years later that we're living in. I, I thought this was brilliant personally. Like the, like you said, five years later and forcing these characters to come to terms with what's happened. And I, I will say, I did think that it was just going to be like, okay, the consequences aren't going to be really be there. It all happened at the end of infinity war. And we're going to kind of get past it. This immediately showed that this, there's real repercussions here that are permanent regardless of what gets fixed and I don't know if we're going to start digging into this this portion, but this is one of the most uh, emotionally wrought moments for me. Scott coming back, not knowing where he is, not knowing when he is, and figuring out what happens and going to the monument for, for those who were dusted and looking for his family. It was such a real moment, and I feel like it's, it's, it frames this thing. It's like there, 
at the end of the day, warriors for Earth. And they have been fighting for us and dying for us. And this is the result of, of their loss. And it felt so real in a way where this is how the Earth would respond to this type of to this type of event. And coming back to see his daughter, this Oh, man, I can't even talk about it too much because I'm just going to lose it. But it was just so absolutely beautiful to see him come to terms with it and be happy and sad at the same time. Um, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is a legitimate actor. Uh, People think of him as a comedic actor. This man has got chops. Um, He shows it here, I I think. Yeah, the emotions he goes through when he sees Cassie. He goes through all of them on his face. And I was like, I saw it and I knew it was happening. I'm like, Paul Rudd, I've seen this. You're not going to get to me. You kind of got to me the first time. My second time through, when he, there's a moment when he looks at her just like he looked at her when he was a little girl towards the end of everything. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, I just, no. and I just, I lost it. And, just, and then he goes, you're so tall. Yeah. <laughs> James, what do you think about this sequence? So the scene with Cap really touched me because I don't know if you guys thought this, but I'm thinking that self-help group is the same group that Falcon used to host. Yeah. And he's he's continuing this for his friend and to help people. So yeah. that touched me. And Chris Evans, I think this is my favorite performance in this movie of his. Mm-hmm. Because he's talking to them and he's trying to tell them, we all have to move on. We have to prove to the rest of the world that we can continue. You know what I mean? And he doesn't even believe it. You can see the look on his face. He doesn't even believe what he's saying. But he's saying it to these people trying to give them hope. And I absolutely loved loved that scene. And then um, what comes after that? Yeah, Paul Rudd and the rat. The rat is the savior of us all. Let's let's be honest. Without the rat, we don't have this movie. We don't save anyone. The rat is our savior. (laughs) Even more of a deus ex machina than Captain Marvel. Right, but the rat the just hero, hits the, the right button the at the right time. <laughs> but that's what I, I think works is that the movie doesn't really do this that much, and it's that yeah. little bit of like the little tiny thing, the way the universe works, the little chain reaction. I think it really works. I have no, absolutely no problem with the rat. I think the rat's Neither cute, and it's I. all run oh, down, no. and the van's like stuck in this garage, and uh, that all looks really great. And they didn't CGI uh, garbage like they could have. <laughs> So it's really, such a comic book thing to happen, though. That's totally. how it would That's happen it. in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James, just like you, I really, really, really like that self-help group scene with Cap, and even more so, I really like that after the the title card with the five years later, the first person we hear is just a civilian talking about what's transpired. So we don't even get the perspective of one of our heroes. We get like the the perspective, and we get the the snap contextualized by a regular human who's just trying to live through it. It's also a great cameo by one of the directors, Joe Russo. Yeah. But um, who also, I think in this scene is maybe the first gay character we've seen in the entire MCU. Cause he's talking about how he went on a date uh, with this guy and uh, just kind of talking about, um, the things that they talked about, and they say that his date cried like right before the salads came, and then he cried right before dessert, and it's just like this really human moment. <laughs> and this this is one of those moments I, I was talking about in our our non spoiler section. Like this movie does such a great job of contextualizing the snap in this like very human way, where you feel like these characters exist in in real time in in the real world. Uh, and it's, man, it's heartbreaking. And and having Cap 
not wearing a suit, but still being as much of a hero as he possibly can be, even in a time when he, like you said, James, he's broken himself, but he's still trying to be uplifting for all these, like, to you, I don't have a better word, but like all these average people. Yeah, Captain America. I think this is the best Chris Evans is the entire series in the in this moment. You tell like you said, James, he's telling all these people to move on and it's he's actually just talking to himself too. Um and him trying to see the bright side. I think we get the most interesting stuff from Black Widow in this movie from the beginning. I would say mm-hmm. that out of all of the character arcs in this entire movie that are that are to the core MCU characters, I think she's working the least for me. And I mean that's really sad because mm. I've really liked Black Widow. And we'll talk about this more. Um yeah. James has some some thoughts. Uh when we uh when we come back we're going to talk about james uh or, um, scott lane getting back getting the band back together and figuring out the mission when we come back on pop welcome back to popaholics we're blowing through the end game talking about all the things that happen piece by piece james you had one last note on uh, black uh, 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 uh scott right Yeah, so Ant-Man is the most important person in this entire movie. And I knew he was going to be that important right at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. The moment that they talked about the quantum realm and um, Janet was like, try not to get stuck in the time vortex. I was like, that is the plot of Endgame. Immediately, I knew that was the plot (laughs) of Endgame. So when I saw Scott come back and he comes back to the Avengers base... And he starts giving the plan about the quantum realm and how time is different. It was five years for everyone else, and it was only five months, um, five hours for him. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is the plan, and we have to go to the greatest mind on the planet. Well, the second greatest mind on the planet to figure it out. Yeah, I can't believe this movie made Ant-Man and the Wasp pay off in any way, shape, or form. So I give it all the kudos in the world for giving me a reason. I'm like, eh, it's not so bad that I watched that twice, I guess. (laughs) So, we go into the mission. Scott Lang arrives at Avengers HQ and tells Cap and Black Widow, hey, I think we can time travel. Uh, and they say, hey, we need to find someone smart. So, they go visit Tony Stark. They go After being declined, they go visit the Hulk. And they start to piece together time travel and making it work. Guys, what do we think about these this series of scenes? Before we even breeze past their visit with Tony, I think it's really important to mention that like while most of the world uh, is experiencing this like deep sadness because of the snap, Tony and Pepper luckily have been able to build a family. Uh, They even have a five-year-old little girl named Morgan. So uh, Tony really kind of lucked out in this situation where he's gotten everything he's ever wanted, which in turn makes it so he's the character that has the most to lose if something goes wrong with said time heist that they're trying to to plan. So I, I really do think that's a great scene for Tony's character when he um, you know, basically tells Captain America, Black Widow, and, and Ant-Man that he just he can't risk it. He can't risk what he's gained. I mean, he understands what everyone else has lost, but he just can't risk... Uh, making it so maybe his daughter doesn't exist or maybe he dies or, or something terrible happens during the during the missions where he loses his entire family. So I think this is a really important and poignant scene for the overall uh, plot of the movie, showing yeah. us that, hey, he has a life. 
And we realize that the only reason he probably does it is Peter. That's really the thing, the only thing he lost that he feels like he failed the son he never had, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think he also just, he's a problem solver by nature. And once they planted that seed, like, this is what we got to do, the the wheels started turning and he was going to, he was going to try and solve that problem. (laughs) The moment that we saw Tony's daughter, I knew that he was going to die at the end. This is this That's is like a mark. This is a stereotypical movie moment. When a character has family and they have everything that they could ever want, they're done. Yeah. Like I, I saw it coming, but it was still beautiful. And it, it was a great callback to Infinity War because that's actually the first time they name dropped the name Morgan. Right. So it was really cool to find out in Endgame that him and Pepper actually had a kid after he dreamed about it in Infinity War and he named that child that's Morgan. Right. It's it's beautiful, man. I completely agree. I thought he named the kid Morton. Morton? <laughs> a little five-year-old girl named Morton? No, a little boy who'd grow up and make a great steakhouse. Oh Morton's, Morton's Steakhouse. It's Morton's The Steakhouse, I believe. That's a deleted scene in, uh, in Endgame. Yeah, I love the little drop of uh, the uh, Pepper Potts iron suit. You know, uh, you're going to yes. give me the actual name for that. Uh, the, Rescue. The... That's a dumb name. <laughs> That's the name of the suit? <laughs> well, yeah, that, in That's the comic great. books, her when she armors up, her character's name is Rescue. That's that's a stupid name. Uh, It's cool when they don't drop the names that are dumb. Uh, I appreciated that. Uh, But yeah, I think, uh, you know, just a little quick side side note. uh, The little actress, the little actress, the little girl who plays Morgan, phenomenal performance and tears at your little heartstring. It is a perfect little girl. I didn't think they'd find a cuter girl since Ant-Man, but uh, apparently they got cute girl, little cute little baby girls on deck that they're just ready to (laughs) have break our hearts. Uh, The scene where she runs out, and says, Mommy told me to come out and save you. And then Tony's just like, good job. I'm you saved. did. Good job. Uh, <laughs> like the, the, the chemistry between Robert Downey Jr. and that little girl is so strong. Like they, they play off each other very well. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure like a lot of the heavy lifting obviously goes to RDJ for those scenes. But like like you said, Christian, the little girl's very good. Literally, he's picking her up. She's yeah. a big one. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and I, I love, I love how Scott Lang, how Paul Rudd's character just fits into this too, his banter between Captain America and Tony when he's like telling him like, as long as we follow the rules of time travel and that'll work and it's really great. Uh, moving on, we get, uh, the, the, Tony uh, shoots him down, but in secret, he's going to figure everything else out. They go, Oh, who's the other scientist we know? Oh yeah, that's right. Bruce Banner. And we get, we get Hulk and like this movie and it's going to do it a lot, right? It does it a lot. It's just like. Here's how this character has ended. This is this is finally Bruce Banner coming to terms with the Hulk in the most interesting. This is literally the best Hulk movie, the best aspect of Hulk we've ever got, where he's kind of come to terms and he's half Hulk, half Bruce Banner. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's such a funny scene, and it's uh, it 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 moves the plot forward. It gives us Hulk's character, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just a, just a ton of fun. No, yeah, completely, and like. It's the first time we see him actually leaning into celebrity in in any real way, and I, I just mm-hmm. thought that was fun seeing seeing this this science character, the scientist who tends to be kind of shy and stuff. Just now that he's got this different body, he's totally he's just all <laughs> yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, he, he's finally uh, at peace with himself and comfortable yeah. with himself. Yeah, which is exactly. something that we very rarely get to see for Bruce Banner and the Hulk. 
So I, I, I love this moment. And I love the bit with him trying to convince the kids to take a picture with, with oh my man. God. Like, <laughs> just, just take the goddamn phone. Man. Just take the goddamn phone. <laughs> yeah, just take the goddamn phone. Uh, I love seeing how much food he ordered, too. Like, he's yeah. eating the diet of the Hulk. He had, like, a giant bowl of eggs. He had, like, 16, uh, like, sausage wraps. <laughs> he's he's got to keep up the bot. I mean, that's, that's yeah, a hungry high calorie thing. body. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys read this scene in the same way that I read it, but when um, Natasha is talking to him, and he's like, you know, time travel really isn't my area of expertise. And then she's like, well, you were able to pull this off. She kind of gives him this look where like there's still kind of a a attraction there between the two of them. Did you guys read the scene in that way where you could still kind of feel? That they're they're both attracted to each other still, and they they still potentially could be like romantic motivators for each other. Did you read that? It's funny that you say that because I've read this throughout the entire series, and I was talking to a good friend of mine, and he read it. He's never seen any sexual tension between them, so I was interested to see if Ultron is like a quarter their like romance story. Yeah, maybe maybe he didn't see Ultron, but yeah, (laughs) I've definitely seen that, and I can yeah, I definitely really appreciated that. Ultron's where it's been laid on the thickest, and it's kind of like they've referenced it, and you know they've given each other looks. I think it is one of the more disappointing plot threads that we've seen through this entire thing. It, it mm-hmm. isn't a clean ending. Um, and ultimately, it's probably just too much. It's probably just too much to add another layer at this point. Um, so I'm not faulting the movie too hard on that. How do you know. feel I, about it, James? I think it's kind of perfect the way it is. Because I feel in Age of Ultron, this was the first time Black Widow was actually being selfish i think this was the first time she was like you know what maybe i can find love maybe i should do something for myself and just run off and be happy she says in that movie she's been around fighters her whole life and this time she's around someone who is highly intelligent who's nice to her who's sweet but doesn't jump into a fight because he knows he'll win i actually Mm -hmm. think the dynamic between them is very interesting but it can't go anywhere because the mission comes first. Saving the world, everything that they've been through, that comes first. So yeah. when it doesn't go anywhere, it makes sense. I feel like if they try to shoehorn in a relationship at this point, it wouldn't work because, I mean, yeah. the mission should come first. Right. Now more than ever. Like Exactly. Definitely. So we get into the mission. We get into uh, them experimenting with, with, uh, with time travel. They accidentally turn Scott into a baby. Uh, which is very funny, and they kind of go through uh, some of the rules. They lightly brush upon the ridiculousness of time travel. I think the the movie's logic can be best summed up uh, by the Hulk in two instances. The first one we get, which is it's either all a joke or none of it's a joke. Right. <laughs> um, and then later when he's talking to um, the, uh, the the chick from uh, Doctor Strange. Um, her, Nebula? Her, the the ancient one. Oh, the mm-hmm. ancient one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Doctor Strange. Yeah, they kind of do the best explanation of how time travel works. But that comes later. We'll get to that later. Um, we get that, and then we get uh, Tony and Cap's amends being made, and uh, Tony uh, reluctantly uh, but excitedly joining the mission, and uh, and them actually gearing up and gathering Thor and Hawkeye, and then setting off into the time heist. So this is the end of kind of our first act. What do you guys think of this, of this build up, this reunion between Tony and getting the gang back together? Before before we touch on Tony and Cap, I really want to bring up the conversation with Pepper and Tony really quickly. Uh, after Tony figures out that he he knows how he can move them through time, um, the the conversation is really beautiful because you can tell he goes into it and he's like trying to be interested in what she's 
reading about, but in the back of his mind, he really just wants to talk to her about what he's discovered. I found that for better or for worse, very relatable because that's how I go into some of my conversations with my wife sometimes. Like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, by the way, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, and I, this um, this was a great moment for Pepper the character in general. Yeah, right. Because I mean, in Infinity War, I wasn't very happy with Pepper, but I mean, her reaction to Tony leaving is a very human thing. Yeah, you don't want to see the one that you love run off into space because you don't know what's going to happen. She's afraid for his life and for their future. And in this movie, she's like, would you really be okay with us just being happy and everyone else not having that? Would you be able to rest? Mm -hmm. And I I love that from her character. And I'm really glad that she motivates him because that's what a relationship should be. You should be able to motivate each other, accept each other for who you are. And I love that she pushes him in the right direction. And that's also kind of, tragic i think because you can tell going into the conversation that maybe tony's looking for an out to not do this like he's hoping that pepper tells him not to do it but like you said she's like a wonderful partner to him and and a motivator and instead of saying like there's no way we can risk our family and send you out to to try and fix things she tells him to do it which i i mean i don't know if you guys got that read from the scene but i i definitely think he was kind of looking for an out like he 100%. Just wanted to keep things the the way they are. But instead, she's like, you need to do this. I don't think you'll be able to continue living if you don't see this through, which I think is beautiful. I've heard some complaints online about, uh, I think it's more efficient in the script. They wrote it this way. And ultimately, I think it's a better decision. I have heard some claims that it doesn't really stick with Pepper's um, character because she's always not for him doing anything. <laughs> like she's always against him risking himself and doing all that. And this is kind of a turn that's a little out of nowhere. What do you guys think about that? But it's she does growth, have that, though. Yeah, it is growth, and she does have that that line where she says, "Like my greatest failure in life is preventing you from doing the things that I don't want you to do." So she's kind of like resigned herself to the fact, and she's accepted who her husband is. You know, which is absolutely growth for Pepper's character. So I don't know if I 100% agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I think it's more efficient storytelling that they did it this way. So we jump to all the things I said before uh, in the sequence gearing up for the mission. What do you guys think about uh, the meeting of Thor and Hawkeye? So the the reintroduction of Ronan in, in this movie, like seeing Clint... In a completely different light. Now, this scene is brilliant. Watching him run through these Yakuza guys, just killing all of them. And even the the head of the Yakuza guy, he was like, like, what are you doing? We didn't do anything to you. You know what I mean? And Clint's like, you survived. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. survived only to wreak havoc on more people. And I am here. I am your reckoning. And he is there to kill them all. And when he notices that Natasha is behind him... It's, it's such a beautiful scene because they're such good friends, you know what I mean? And she's so broken to see her friend fall so low, you know what I mean? And she's there to pick him back up, which is what a good friend should be, yeah. you know what I mean? So And everything with Thor is just absolutely hilarious. The fact that he's <laughs> completely let himself go, the, how broken he is, that he just doesn't care about anything at all anymore. It's just, it's sad to see. It's played for jokes sometimes, but it's really just sad. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people complaining that uh, that Thor's character is just a big joke. And I was like, no, it's, like, sad. Like, it's funny, right? It's funny to see someone who is, like, 
you know, obviously the physical gag of it, who is super strong and really the strongest among the Avengers, now letting himself go. Like, although it's funny, even in the scenes where he's like, no, everything's fine and he's drinking, it actually is just depressing. And I think that even though there are jokey aspects to when that happens, I think ultimately, especially the second time through, I'm like, no, this is more tragic than it is funny. And there's, I think you get the humor at the very beginning. And definitely that's, the movie leans into that a lot especially what we'll see later. But um, I think that I think it's the most interesting place they could have took the God of Thunder. Yeah, it was it was just a crazy move. Hilarious, like and dressing him like the big Lebowski, essentially, too, which is even referenced in the movie. This is exactly what I'm looking for from from Thor's character. He's turned into this this guy that can not only hold himself emotionally, but also be this incredible comedic actor. And Taika Waititi's character coming back, Korg, and the whole Fortnite, just talking shit on Fortnite, like the God of Thunder, just talking trash (laughs) on the internet. (laughs) It's just incredible. Like, this is what he's become. Like, this is where he can still feel like he's got some some power over things. Don't forget about Meek. Justice for Meek. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, no, and I I love the idea, the whole uh, new Asgard and this idea of these essentially uh, realm refugees coming to Earth and establishing themselves here. Um, it's uh, it's it's working on all levels here. I love the reintroduction of Thor and, and where his character goes here. Yeah, I, I I've also heard that some people kind of had a problem with what they ended up doing with Thor, but uh, I mean I agree with you guys. I think this is a natural progression for his character, especially you know, referencing what we said earlier in the episode, which is like, he's failed twice. He's broken. Like he doesn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Like he thinks he just failed everyone. So obviously he's going to lean into his depression and just kind of, uh, waste away, you know, just drink himself to death, (laughs) which is, I feel like is pretty tough for an Asgardian. Yeah. But, uh, I love the moment when they first get to new Asgard and and Hulk's like excited to see Valkyrie and he's trying to be really friendly and the line kills me every single time I've seen the movie where she's like I think I liked you either of the other ways <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's so funny. <laughs> we also get, as they're gearing up for the mission, we get to go through as they're planning the time heist. And I think Thor gets this wonderful moment that sums up his performance really great where he's got to recount Thor the Dark World pretty much for the audience. <laughs> oh, my and God. And Scott's yes. the only one interested in this. He's so engaged. He looks so engaged when he's telling the story. <laughs> and how ridiculous the plot. He's like, you guys called it a stone. Well, it's more of a, 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 a menacing blob or whatever he says. It's like angry sludge. <laughs> and then he talks yeah. about you know oh going to see my mom and my dad come to think of it they're not alive and like oh this is you know natalie portman's character or whatever it's like i've really talked she's an old flame of mine yeah so many digressions in his in the way he's informing them about the stone uh uh, all that stuff is is insanely good and and working and i think i think this 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 gearing up and them working together and, and getting everything ready to go um, in discussing the plot and figuring out that there's, you know, kind of like the planning of it. Like we get this little mini, obviously they say time heist a lot, but this mini like t- heist movie planning elements like this movie has everything literally. Yeah. This, th- these scenes are another moment in the film. Like I said earlier that like really makes these characters feel like they're living in the real world. It, it flushes out the fact that they are people, you know, we have a scene with like Tony and Natasha laying on a conference table and Hulk on the floor. They're just kind of like, talking about where the stones are located and like when they're located and just 
kind of playing off one another, all this little pieces of information that each of them has. And I, I love that moment where they come to the conclusion that, oh my God, if we go back to New York at this specific time, there are actually going to be three stones there. That's going to make it much easier for us. Yeah, and I was... Um, a lot of cool, got a lot of cool scenes. I was reading <laughs> some stuff on Slash Film, um, the, the, the website. Great website for fun uh, movie news and stuff. And uh, they were talking about how the writers actually were doing everything they could to not go back to New York because they thought it'd yeah. be too on the nose. And they are just like, eh, this is the easiest way to handle this. Cause... Too fan servicey. Yeah, but uh, ultimately I'm glad they did. I thought that yeah, I, th- I think that's too. one of the most iconic For moments sure. that you could go back to. Um, I do before we get into the time heist uh, part. I do want to mention I really love uh, Don Cheadle's line, uh, War Machine, when he's talking about can't we just go back in time to Baby Thanos and does like a strangling pantomime? Uh-huh. It's the classic <laughs> argument. It's so good. <laughs> and Cap's like, dude, what the hell? Like, no. <laughs> and then like Hulk explains like that's not how this time travel works. It's yeah. not going to work that way. Which makes this scene brilliant. It's very light. It's very funny. But they immediately explain the rules of their time travel without it being too exposition heavy. The editing, yeah. the dialogue, it's so brilliant in this film. It's giving you so much information while keeping it light. This isn't Quantum Leap. This isn't Back to the Future. Those rules don't work for our universe. The past, if you go back there, it is now your future. This mm-hmm. is how it works. And when you see everything else in the rest of this film, when you apply those rules, it all makes sense. And it's brilliant. And when can you say that a three-hour movie is this efficient with its storytelling? I know. <laughs> it's like, crazy. It's crazy how, how – we, like, we're literally trying to get through this movie, and we're already at, like, almost an hour and a half. And we are trying to get through this in a reasonable amount of time, but – Every single moment in this three-hour movie is important to like the movie, which yeah. is just just a testament to how important this is. But we're gonna try to speed things along, so we get the actual mission. All the Avengers are together, uh, and they're gonna go back in time and uh, gather all this, uh, get all the stones back, so they can bring the gauntlet back to snap everybody in existence and create create a gauntlet for all the stones to work in. Uh, and we have New York, Asgard. <laughs> shortly after that, uh, New Jersey, and then Morag Voromir. Uh, guys, what do we think about uh, these these four set pieces? Working as a whole, this middle part of the movie, how do we feel this relates to the first and the third act? Uh, where does this sit for you guys? So I I love this. So I, I love heist movies. I love time travel. Everything about time travel is some of my favorite stuff. And the moment that we find out that someone has to go to Voromir, I knew we were losing an Avenger. Yeah. Because for obvious reasons, a soul for a soul. So it was like, mm. oh my God, who's who's going to be it? You know what I mean? And then we find out later on that it's either Hawkeye or Natasha that goes to Vormir. And I'm like, holy shit, we're going to lose one of them. Yep. And um, seeing Hulk and Cap and Tony and Ant-Man back in New York, Hulk seeing himself being all raged out and he's all embarrassed by him, by himself. Yeah. It's, it's all great. Seeing Cap versus Cap. Like it's there's so many amazing scenes in this movie, um, in this scene, um, the elevator sequence. I thought we were going to get another elevator fight. And then when Cap leans in and says, hey, Lydra, I lost my shit, dude, because I'm, I'm one of those comic nerds. <laughs> when it happened in the comics, I was like, I'm yeah. not reading this anymore, even though, you know, it's not going to last. It's just one of those things because I'm just such a huge nerd. It bugged me. But yeah, seeing it in this movie just Cap. worked. 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I'm 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 really happy that they referenced it in a very subtle way, even though I'm I'm right there with you. Like that's just not Captain America, you know? Um What's so great about the fact they went back to New York? I know they were trying it sounds like they were trying to avoid it, but it's so perfect because we get to see the juxtaposition between where Hulk is and Cap is as people and how much mm-hmm. they've grown and changed throughout all these movies because they face their former selves and the screenwriters mm-hmm. are smart enough to be like, No, we gotta lean into how ridiculous these characters were at one point and what their 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 point of views were i think it's so great seeing hulk just insane rage monster that we love seeing him in the original avengers and then juxtaposed between current hulk it's like no i figured things out like i'm a pretty mellow hulk dude now and captain america's resilience and patriotism and just making new caps sick of like you're so naive and such a yeah. like I i've seen things <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i it just from like a like a world building standpoint, I love how we get to go back to New York and see kind of in between the lines. We get to, we actually get a little extra from the original Avengers movies, like yeah. the fact that um, Rumlow came and took the staff with Sitwell. We never knew how that staff got into Von Strucker's hands in in Age of Ultron, but now we do. Like regardless of whether Cap took it or not, like time still happened like that in age of ultron we just never got to see it which i think is it just adds more to those movies and i'm excited to go back to those movies and watch them with this new information yeah it's like Um, it's like what's better than a deleted scene how about a time travel movie in which you get to see deleted (laughs) scenes in between that explain things it's like the most brilliant thing and rewarding thing for for a fan of these movies before we get too far away from this i just want to point out really quickly i love the way they've designed like the the time travel itself like what it looks like um back to the future is one of my favorite movies of all time but after seeing this movie i think i like time travel in this movie more than i like time travel in back to the future which is something that like i never thought well time travel in back to the future doesn't make sense it's it's all nonsense like right Marty As changed this movie everything. Proves. He would be a completely different person when he went back to present day. But he's the same guy. Everything is right. technically the same with a little different things. Like, yeah, right. in this movie called it's like future self can't go back and affect former self. You know, the classic time paradox thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the way they made it look with all the, the quantum shifting and stuff like that. And the first scene where we get to see Clint finally move through time. Uh, I was just like, I turned to my wife and I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> they do that thing, though. They do it with a couple things. They do it with the Infinity Gauntlet and they do it with time travel. It seems like the first time they show it, it really affects the body. And then like after they're like, no, we figured it out. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like because Clint's like, I, I noticed very, in that first test run, Clint's like, I am shaken to my core from time traveling. And everybody yeah. else is like, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> they're like yeah, he's also, good. No it's been five years since he's seen his family. So having the opportunity to see his family in that moment, that also, I think, adds to the fact no, no, but that he's, just like, the, shaken. Yeah, I, okay. I'll get that. But just the, when he first gets there, in the past, yeah. he's, like, on yeah. his knees and his elbows. Yeah, he's a little shaking. worn out, yeah. yeah. I also, I'm sorry I keep doing this, just pointing out random things, but the second time I watched the movie, listening to Natasha say, see you in a minute, that's the last thing she says to them before she has to go to Vormir and and sacrifice herself basically. So that line hits you way harder on the second viewing because you realize like, wow. oh my god, she's not coming back. She it's is just, not going to see them in a minute. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> I 
I was all for this, especially uh, I just feel lucky to have watched all. I would never have watched all of these movies back back to back <laughs> from the beginning without this podcast, and I'm so happy I did because it paid off so huge. Immediately when I uh, when I was watching the Captain America scene, I wanted to make a cap on cap violence joke. I know it's not PC, but it just like immediately I was like, this this is this has got to be made. It's like anti. But um, aside from that, America's ass. <laughs> <laughs> that America's is America's ass. ass. It, that is America's <laughs> ass. It, I, I absolutely loved this. Um, the whole banner in the ancient one scene, we haven't really touched on at all. I thought it was really interesting seeing um, now that Hulk is has uh, come to terms with himself and kind of realized who he is, and then still like having this moment of, oh, he still is Banner and this body, and it's a separate thing, and coming to terms with that. I thought that was cool using the same, although it was the same effect as Doctor Strange, coming back to that character and having the Ancient One come to terms with uh, Doctor Strange having essentially given himself up, given the stone up. Um, I, th- I thought it worked really well coming back to her character and her acceptance of that and realizing like, oh, maybe maybe I messed up somewhere down the line, like something happened that um, I'm probably responsible for on some level. I think that worked really well for me in a movie that didn't feel particularly consequential in Doctor Strange. Um, can you guys Can you guys answer a quick nerd question I have? Since I got two sure. good nerds on here. Uh, <laughs> how does Tilda Swinton's character know about Doctor Strange? The Time Stone. She, she's looked into possible futures before. Yeah. She can move forward in time as far as her own death. They talk about that in Doctor Strange, so Shoot, she can yeah, see right. she can see all the way up to the point at which she dies. So she knows that Stephen Strange is going to come to her, train under her, all of that stuff, and she knows that he's like she says in the film, meant to be the best of us, like he's supposed to be one of the best Sorcerer Supreme. So that's why she she knows that that's going to happen. Like James said, she has a time stone, so she can kind of move and and look through time just like dr strange does in infinity war but she wasn't supposed to right i'm sorry to sidebar this so much she wasn't supposed to use the time stone right isn't that what they find out in dr strange i didn't really pay attention the last time i watched i mean as long as you don't disrupt the timeline that's fine it's it's the negative energy that she was tapping into (laughs) for everything else okay that was the issue she was just a negative person this isn't (laughs) dr strange talk (laughs) thanks for clearing that up guys um, so, can I talk about Black Widow real quick? I please. think her sacrifice, Black Widow's arc in the MCU, it really comes full circle in this movie. Because she has been trying to find a way to clear the red from her ledger mm. forever. And giving her life for trillions, I think, clears that debt. And this is the end that she's been looking for. Yeah. So when she gives up her life, it's exactly... I how I it's exactly how I think she wants to go out to save all of these people and to redeem herself from all of the people that she has just killed without any thought. You know what I mean? So I thought that was beautiful. It's heart wrenching to see her go because I think Scarlet is amazing as his character, but it's the right end for her. I completely agree with you. A lot yeah. of people don't see it that way, which I I think is interesting. Um, they they feel as though that that her death wasn't justified and that they kind of did her dirty. Like, like she never had a lot of character development throughout the movies. And she was always kind of like playing ball with all these male actors, you know, and never really got the same attention that they did. But I completely agree with you, James. Like, I think it, as far as the character goes, I think it's a fitting end. in the fact that she makes that decision because you're right. She has been looking for a way to, to, make good on all the terrible things she's done in her past. And I think sacrificing herself, like you said, for trillions 
is a great way to do that. And we have a Black Widow movie coming out next year. So, like, maybe I'm sure they're going to, like, expand on her character enough like they have with some other characters so we can go back and watch all these other movies that she's been in and, like, just recontextualize the way her character's thinking. But Christian was saying that he's one of those people that uh, doesn't think they uh, did justice by her character in this film. I think the Vormir f- stuff is the stuff that doesn't work uh, in these these both these movies, Infinity War and this. Um, it's just an awkward thing. It's really hard to do. So it's definitely, I think, one of the more challenging elements of what they were trying to do. And I don't hate the idea, the, the life for life thing. Um, it's just the staging of both of these theme- scenes uh, just doesn't really work for me, especially in this one. I think it would have been a lot more effective with a lot less action. Uh, I think that having a turn of, of, of just having Scarlett Johansson give her give all those beautiful justifications you were saying, which I don't feel like are a hundred percent all the way through. She mentioned some things about this is my family. I found my family. This is what I've been looking for. I really like the line when um, uh, Red Skull, you know, says. Uh, um, Romanov, son of Ivan or whatever. And she goes, daughter yeah, of Ivan, a yeah. daughter of Ivan. I, oh, oh, he knew her name. She's like, I don't even know my dad's name. I thought that was a really cool, um, little, uh, little bit of backstory of, of kind of her kind of coming to grips with believing it. Uh, however, I think it would have been really good with just one turn Hawkeye accepting and, and Black Widow double aging him one last time of like, okay, you're going to, yeah, I think you should do it. And then zapping him and then him waking up with the soul stone, knowing that she died, I think would have been a lot more powerful than this ridiculous. There was like an injustice justice level of uh when he shoots the explodey arrow like (laughs) and then him jumping over and her like point breaking over with the like it's it's all a little too much for trying to have such uh, good emotional weight and um I, i i like the idea of it um i just think that black widow has never gotten as much as she's needed and I don't think that it's because it didn't have to do with the only thing I was attached to, which was her relationship with Bruce. I think because we didn't follow that thread all the way through, it didn't a hundred percent work for me. I don't think it's outright terrible, but I think it, they could have done the scene almost exactly the way it was done. Just they didn't have to have so much ridiculous action and could have maybe been a little bit more efficient with the dialogue and the timing of everything. I see where you're coming from. But I think from like a writer's standpoint, it's kind of like keeping the audience on their toes because, you know, someone has to go, but they want they want to keep it going all the way until the end to keep audiences guessing, to keep them engaged. So you don't know who it's going to be. But I do see where you're coming from. I think, yeah, you guys, you guys are both making really good points. I, I agreed that in the moment, the action seemed a little over the top. And I thought the, even though I do agree that her uh, character has been underdeveloped, I think her relationship with Hawkeye is one of the better elements of of her arc. And I thought that the drama between them was strong enough to not need that action. But um, what what James and Chris were saying, I, I didn't even consider that she really has come to a point in her life where she's accepted that this, she's done what she can do to be a good person and to come to terms with her past and she's letting hawkeye have that chance to redeem himself which right. i didn't even consciously realize until you guys brought that up but that's yeah, that's beautiful he, as ronan he's basically where she was mm-hmm. exactly before we, before we encounter her in iron man 2 like she was an assassin she killed uh, a ton of people just like he did after um you know his family got dusted so she more than anyone else, and, and this just adds to the relationship they've, that they've had throughout the entire MCU, understands what he's going through. Right. 
No, I could see that for sure. Yeah. So uh, let's quickly touch on Asgard. Would we uh, Asgard? Asgard. <laughs> Asgard. Uh, um, this is uh, one of the fr- uh, one of the parts of the movie where we see one of our main heroes interact with uh, a parent and have kind of a last goodbye and and seeking understanding. I think this is really powerful and working insanely well. Uh, it, it makes Thor the Dark World, it makes Frida's death mean shit. I made a joke about Frida's death, okay? <laughs> it's Frigga. Frigga, whatever. <laughs> Nerd. Uh, I thought it was Frigga. <laughs> uh, but, like, really just having that interaction of her giving him, uh, you know, so much um, peace of mind with everything <clears throat> and him trying to save her. <clears throat> Excuse me. Him trying to like give her like like almost like hey, listen you can stop your and she's like listen this isn't about me anymore I'm gone I'm done like this is about you and this is about uh, the destiny that's before you and you've just got to be who you're gonna be and you got to figure that out and grow up and uh, I really love that I love that little yeah. that little moment uh, I did not expect that at all that was very unexpected that I would be moved by that what do you guys think it, of the uh, Asgard stuff It's so touching that even though he isn't the Thor that she knows she instantly recognizes him as her son and like is absolutely there for him for moral support. Like she can mm-hmm. see that her son is distressed. Uh, and even the moment where he's like kind of weeping and he's like, I need to talk to you. She's like, let's talk. Like, even though Asgard's being invaded by dark elves, she's like, let's take a quiet moment. Like, <laughs> um, and it's, it's just a really beautiful scene and, and an encounter that I think, um, fortunately both my parents are alive but if I were to, when I inevitably lose one of them or both of them, getting a second chance to talk to a parent and gain some type of closure or advice later on in life is a really powerful thing, like you were talking about, Christian. And this was one of the scenes in the movie that really uh, struck me emotionally. One um, of many. She, yeah, she's yeah. able to help him in such a deep way and, and give him the advice that he needed in that moment to begin the journey back to where he was and become a better person. And she even, you know, gives him some like harsh realities. Like she tells him that he, yeah, he is a failure, but you know what that makes you just like everybody else, you know, like we're gods, but we're still just like everybody else. Um, And after this moment, right before he and rocket go back to the present day, I love that he tries to summon Mjolnir and when he does, he's so excited to see that he's still worthy of of wielding the hammer, even through so many different failures. I just think this whole sequence is very, very powerful powerful for Thor's uh, character arc overall. And he gets Mjolnir back. I never thought I'd be like slightly emotional about a dude getting his hammer. A hammer. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, it was like destroyed in like the way he was talking about it. Ragnarok of like it was truly awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. he loved it's his a hammer. character. It's a yeah. character, dude. <laughs> That's super great. Brian, how do you feel about this scene? I loved it. And it further, you know, expands upon uh, his character, like seeing him vulnerable. We got that great scene in Infinity War with Rocket where he's kind of coming to terms with with what's happened and here directly experiencing this with his mother and nearly running away from the situation that he, he knew he had to accept it. It, it totally worked. We're going to talk all night if I if I keep going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I thought it worked well. And I'm I'm a sympathizer for the Thor movie. So I appreciate it uh, coming back and, and becoming relevant and getting a little backstory to her character, who was another one who was very underdeveloped in terms of female roles in these movies. Yeah, yeah I, I really couldn't have said it better than you guys. You've said literally everything that 
I thought of. Um, one thing that I also loved is more time with that character. You realize that Loki really is, he's just like her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she raised him and you can see the parallels between their personalities. And I love seeing that. You know what I mean? And even in Dark World, like Thor says that you're so much like mom. You know what I mean? Like there's so I, I loved everything about that scene. And Thor really needed someone to just say, hey, like strap up your boots. There's work that needs to be done. Yeah. Like you said, Chris, like you failed. Yes. But that makes you like everyone else. It humanizes them. They are gods, but it humanizes them. They still make mistakes. They still do wrong things, things. They, they're still emotional, but the point is rising up and doing what needs to be done. That is the most important part of any arc of a hero. Definitely. We get another uh, reunion. Tony Stark and Captain America realize that uh, they have uh, fumbled with the with the Tesseract. Loki has escaped through his own uh, Disney uh, Plus mo- uh, channel show. Um, <laughs> so tricky. <laughs> he's such a tricky bastard. Uh, and so they must go back to where the Tesseract is. So they go back to 1970s New Jersey. The same camp from Captain America Winter Soldier, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Camp yeah, Lehigh. Uh, and uh, the birthplace of Mr. Captain America. And we get... Uh, Captain America running into uh, uh, Peggy again, uh, the love of his life, and we get uh, Tony Stark running into his dad for one last goodbye. Uh, oh we also are opened up with uh, our last Stanley cameo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Stanley. Uh, what'd you guys think of the cameo, real quick? I, I, I wish it was longer. I wish there was a little more, but I think it's a great. I think it's a great last sentiment to hear on screen from uh, from Mr. Stanley. Uh, what'd you guys I, think? I really liked it. Uh, especially what they were able to do with the de-aging technology again. Good God, I've brought this up so many times, but like he looked like Stan from the 70s. And st- in the 70s, that's when Stanley was really becoming active with the fans and participating in, in like Marvel. And it's just, it was cool to see him like that um, after his passing. And it was definitely a little emotional. But it's like we transported Stan back. Transported stand back <laughs> and uh, got a, a second chance to to see him again. What do you guys think? Every time Chris hits his uh, hits his hits his mic, I'm gonna have to play the foghorn. I, f- I flail my arms. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Um, this the cameo is it's it, it's hard, man. It goes by really quick, and I I don't feel like there needed to be more because there's so much more to do in this film. Mm-hmm. But it was just enough to to see Stan one last time. I love the fact that in Guardians 2, his cameo in that movie is my favorite cameo he's ever done because it proves that he's a watcher, the watchers exist, and he's just been traveling and watching the adventures of the characters that he helped create. Like, I, I really almost cried during that scene, as simple as it was, like, this is the last time we're gonna see him in a cameo. And it just it just hurts, man. It's heartbreaking. The 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 cameo that he had in Into the Spider-Verse still made me more emotional than this particular cameo. I think that cameo is like a perfect send-off for for Stan, but um it's tough to think about. <laughs> so this is definitely the last one. I w- I was not aware that I, I didn't think yeah. he would even be in this one. I keep I'm surprised every time I see him <laughs> in in these movies. I thought I thought his last cameo was going to be Far From Home because I'd heard a rumor yeah, that he same. did shoot shoot a cameo for that movie. But all the reports that I've been hearing coming out this week are saying that this is actually his last cameo. Okay. So, so before we get into Tony talking to Howard, 
Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the de-aging technology really quick. Holy crap! Michael Douglas in 1970s, like he looks so young in this scene. When when Christian and I saw it yesterday last week when we were talking about Ant Man and the Wasp, he was saying how he would have preferred like a movie with Hank Pym. I turned to him and I was like, "This is the movie with Hank Pym that we aren't gonna get." Like <laughs> if they could make him, if they could make Michael Douglas look like that for a whole movie, like they did with Samuel Jackson in uh, Captain Marvel. I would absolutely 100% watch an OG Hank Pym Ant-Man movie. Like, that would be awesome. I was trying to explain to Chris that I couldn't tell if the de-aging technology was weird or just Michael Douglas looks weird as a human person. (laughs) I thought they did a great job. (laughs) I think it looks good. It definitely looks better than Gemini Man, the preview that we saw from that. Yeah, Uh, but it's a trailer. Hope it, yeah. it's just, it's just not they have time they have time to work on that <laughs> um the de-aging on howard did not look that great to me really like it was it was fine but it didn't look as polished because i mean they've stepped it up when they did it with um nick fury and colson in captain marvel they yeah. they they stepped it up to a whole new level and i feel like in this it was kind of a step down again I think all this de-aging stuff, because essentially it's it's machine learning face tracking. I've le- looked into a little bit about how the technology works. And it's all about the learning algorithm matching between older like headshots or video of that actor. And the more access you have to video of them as a younger actor, the better it's going to be. Because the more the machine can compare it to and adjust. And then uh, the CGI artists come in and clean stuff up and polish up stuff. But I think a lot of it comes down to not only that technology and, and maybe what access they have to those other actors, but also what you're looking for. Like, I don't know what that dude normally looks like terribly well. Like, I haven't seen – I actually didn't rewatch Iron Man 2, and that's the same actor, right? That's in Iron Man 2. Yeah, who's playing Because I think, I think Howard Stark takes the record for most different actors that play the same – he has three different actors. Yeah. Just two. <laughs> There's Is three. There just two? There's no, three. Just two. Who's the th- third? So in the very first Iron Man, the picture of Howard Stark is a completely different guy. You're right. Moving You're right. forward, right. it's it's the other guy. You're right. I could have sworn old Howard Stark was someone different from medium age Howard Stark, who's different no, from John Slattery has always played older Howard Stark. Okay. Yeah. But we get young spunky yeah. Howard Stark yeah. in Dominic in, Cooper has always played Dominic. like young nineteen forties. Howard Stark. So I think a lot of it, uh, I digress in saying that a lot of it I think has to do with looking for uh, things that you know that actor by, and maybe if you find the one weird flaw in the animation or whatever. But I honestly didn't even know if they de-aged him. I I had no idea personally. Yeah, Yeah. I was unaware, so it worked on me. So I think it's it's definitely, if you know what to look for, I think you can start to fade. I think when you use the high-profile actors, like I think that's when it's more noticeable. Like I've seen this guy so much, so my brain can reference his real face a lot more than seeing like John Slatter. Like I just don't know what that dude looks like a ton, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean he was on Mad Men forever, so I mean that's why his face is just imprinted in my brain. Right, right. So it's just a little okay. off for me. But what we think of the actual scene between Tony and his dad Howard, or Howard Potts and Howard Stark? It was it was so important because Tony really needed to see how much his dad really loved him before yeah. he was even born. Like he just wanted to be the perfect dad and even though tony might not have thought he was howard always wanted to give it his all to be the best dad for him and i feel like that was great for tony to know for himself and unfortunately he won't be able to apply it to future parenthood but i feel like it would have been a great thing for him to take away going forward this movie hits on so many weird, like, I did not get this the first time. I didn't get this emotional. But when Howard says to him, like, I haven't even met the kid and I'd do anything for him. Like, it, like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, that's like, 
I mean, that's honestly how I feel in my heart about any future children I might have, right? And it's like, oh God, that, that hits, so, like, seeing that actual love, because Howard Stark has not been portrayed in the most loving of, 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 of like, outlooks. I mean, he gets a moment in Iron Man 2 um, where I think he comes through a little bit, but this this moment of, like, oh, I actually do love him, but I'm trying to, like, even when he's talking about parenting, the way he's like, how do you even manage that thing? Like, what protocols do you establish? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's thinking about it in such a scientific problem, but he still has the heart behind it. Um, I think that's, like, super relatable and, and beautiful. I think the interaction between the two of them is crucial for Tony's decision at the end of the film, because there's a scene in the elevator where... Tony kind of gets this wonderful opportunity to say, I have a daughter and they get to talk about, you know, his granddaughter basically without him knowing that it's his granddaughter briefly. And Howard starts saying like, Oh man, I wish I was having a daughter because it'd be less likely that they turn out like me. And then Tony says, well, what's, what's so wrong about turning out like you? And then I actually wrote down the quote here. He says, the greater good has rarely outweighed my own self interest." So this is like a waking up moment for Tony where He's realizing that, like, I have kind of taken the same path as my father my entire life. And that pushes him in those final moments that we're going to get into later in this discussion to sacrifice himself to, to defeat Thanos, basically. So I think that one moment in the elevator is so crucial to Tony Stark's character arc and the decision that he makes at the end of this film. It's, it's really, again, all these moments with the Avengers meeting their parents are, are well-written and beautiful moments and they are exactly what each of these characters needs to hear for whatever track they are on uh, and they shouldn't sure we... work in a movie because it's about time traveling it's people it's who wear a... underpants <laughs> like i said man this movie is a, a, a miracle <laughs> so i do want to talk about nebula and war machine on morag so this is the only thing in the movie where i'm like whose idea was it to send Nebula to 2014 to a planet where she knows her her future self, well, her past self, her past is self, going yeah. to. Like, I, I feel like that's, that was, that's one of those moments where it's like, well, we need this in the script for Thanos to figure out the plan in order for him to come to the future for the third act to happen. But they weren't I don't on feel Morag. Like, they weren't huh? on Morag, were they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they, they were on Morag. Morag. No, no, I know yeah. they were, but but Thanos and and, uh, and Nebula and... They weren't. They were, they were on headed Morag. there, though. Right. After after they realized the connection between future Nebula and past Nebula, they changed course to head to Morag to basically, like, abduct her. Well, she would know it the best. You know, she knows the, she knows the area and where they're at in that part of space the best, so I, I could see a justification <sighs> that's there. A, that's a good And point. technically, that's the best time to grab the Power Stone, because if not, it's in... Yeah. Um, it's Ronan's it, hands. It's in Ronan's, and then it goes to to, to Xandar, and then and then Thanos's. So I, I, really it's like point. pretty secure otherwise. Why yeah. War Machine? I don't know. He's got a bunch of guns. Well, I like I like the <laughs> dynamic between Nebula and War Machine because they have that moment where he basically gives her a quick pep talk, like we do the best with what we have. Because I mean, he's been he was crippled in in Civil War, and now he has robotic legs, basically. And he's partnered up with this other character who is essentially, like, 90% robotics, you know? So it, it, that is kind of a sweet moment between the two of them. Brian, what'd, what did you think about this? Yeah, I, I thought it worked well. I, I loved coming back to uh, Star-Lord doing his goofy dancing. <laughs> 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 like, so he's an idiot. He's an idiot. <laughs> 
and kind yeah. of the punch that we've been waiting for to give Star Lord to. I think I feel like the writers are giving us something of being, everybody's so mad at Star Lord from Infinity War for fucking everything up, and it's to see like the punch. first time we see Star Lord, he just gets whacked right in the face after <laughs> acting like an asshole. It's pretty perfect. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, what did you guys think about the? Um, I thought it was an interesting way to move the plot along, having uh, both nebulas in this timeline, and therefore their minds are connected on some level, and kind of what that says about. I I, I know uh, we had talked before about the how they connect in Ant Man and the Wasp, the Posner um, particles or the yeah right. the Posner molecules, and how there's some quantum connections going on in the brain. I kind of I, I really liked how they they brought that in. It was a little bit gimmicky to to move things along, but I thought it was a kind of a cool idea how there is this effect. It's like you're you can see yourself, but there's these connections that uh, affect the the greater reality and the timeline that that you're in. I don't know how with you guys her felt brain. About that. I think they were able to to make it make sense because her brain is probably half computer, or she has a computer. Um, uh, basically facilitating certain neuro, neuro, neuron ah, connections. You know, they're kind of okay, like playing okay. with the idea that because this computer is in charge of, of hosting that, that that's what's getting interference. Exactly. I don't know. It's very okay, that makes loose sense. and convenient. Um, I think it is yeah. a real, I think it's the smartest way to bring Thanos, Thanos back into the fold. And I gotta I be honest, when I saw it was going down, I'm like, I, I would say this movie's working so well that it really doesn't bother me too much because the fact that I was like, oh shit, yeah, Thanos. <laughs> I was like, fuck, he's gonna, oh no, he's gonna fuck him up again. <laughs> uh, like, it really had my heart racing of like, the movie had me right in the palm of their hand because I'm like, oh shit, no, not Thanos. Like, you can't let him get back involved. He's gonna, he's gonna fuck up things. It had me so like great. a little kid watching a Saturday morning cartoon of like, he's being like, <laughs> no, Nebula. Uh, it was kind of heartbreaking, uh, and and from her character growth to actually see her suffer and actually be the causality of this, and the old vicious her come back. I think it was super smart. I think it's probably for as ridiculous as this movie is, probably probably the best way that could have done it. For I sure. agree. Same. Yeah. Yeah. That I that's that's the way I I look at most of this movie. Like any of the the qualms that I have with the storytelling of this film, like they just disappear. Like it's just it's so good that I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like the movie addresses it, even with the time travel stuff. You know, as it's coming up, it's like this movie is wrought to have so many like plot conveniences and problems that kind of hang you up of like, I don't think it's kinda of ridiculous that this is happening. You know, once that movie once a movie catches you with that notion, it makes everything else not feel weighty. This movie carries so much weight, and I think it just mm-hmm. comes down to characters. Like, we actually, yeah. like, I don't want to th- see Thanos cut any of my friends' heads off, right? And so the fact that he's so menacing and such a present thought, and the fact that even this ridiculous plot device could get him involved makes me, like, very, like, uh, worried for, for, for the heroes. So we get that. Moving on, uh, we get into the, the final battle, the end game itself. Um, they get the uh, stones. They return them without Black Widow and Nebula. Yeah. Um, they go ahead and have a little fight about who's going to wear the gauntlet. They decide it's going to be Hulk because Gamma, which is always my favorite thing when they're like, what kind of radiation is it? <laughs> and Hulk's just like, yeah. it's Gamma. But guess what? Gotta the be. CGI is incredible on Hulk's face, and they really perfected it. Amazing. And- and yeah. uh, I, I, my girlfriend looked over at me and said, I'm so attracted to him even when he's big and green. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I love about that moment where Hulk is deciding that he's going to be the one to wear the Stark gauntlet is there's a precedence for uh, the Infinity Stones giving off gamma radiation in the MCU. That's how they track the Tesseract in the first Avengers movie. They bring Banner in 
to That's track the right. Tesseract specifically because it's giving off gamma radiation. Right, I get that. I get that. So, but yeah. it's also not a real, like, gamma is just like a wave right. type. It's not really. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Marvel science. It's basically. Marvel science. It, it makes me laugh because if, if you just do five seconds of research and realize what a gamma wave is, you're like, oh, it really doesn't have anything to do with radiation. It's like a descriptor of radiation rather than it is a specific type of radiation. Anyway. Right, comics, right. Christian. But comics. I think it, I think it <laughs> yeah. Because comics. No, I get it, but I'm, I always laugh when they're like, "Well, it's gamma," and we all look at yeah. it. And they're like, "Where's Bruce? Where's Bruce? <laughs> Bruce He's been gamma. affected by the gamma rays." Bruce, it's gamma. <laughs> get Bruce. But I, I think I think that moment and the performance that Mark Ruffalo gives when he's like, "It's like I was made for this." Oh yeah, like no, he's, like he's, his he's whole yeah. he's realizing that like getting infected and becoming the Hulk. And all this, all these challenges that he's faced, basically, have led to this one moment where he has to put on this gauntlet. See, no I, how damn I would have got on. Yeah. I would have got on with it if he was just like, "Listen, the last dude who put this on had a big purple CGI arm. I've got a big green CGI arm, so it should work good." Hey, Stark, you put some of that nanotech in there so it can fit my hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's it's the thing. Gamma! Only... <laughs> Only his arm was damaged. That shows you the sheer power of the Hulk. Only his arm. And because of his incredible regeneration abilities, he's going to heal up the next, by the next time we see him anyway. So it's like, it's incredible to think that he can wield all six stones and use enough power to bring everyone that was dusted back trillions. He He puts on the glove and suffers what Thanos gets. So it's consistent with that. He gets all the Infinity Stones kind of traveling up the veins of his of his head. He's suffering, and then he it hurts so much to snap. Um, so he does that. Me- meanwhile, um, we have uh, the uh, Than- Thanos and company and an entire army with their big ship. Does that ship have a name, nerds? Uh, it's the Sanctuary Two. Uh, Ronin's was the Sanctuary. There you go. Yeah. Am I right? That's the nerd yeah. answer. No, uh, yeah. Ronin, Ronin was on Sanctuary and Guardians? What is that ship? Called? It's the same style of ship as Ronin. Ronin has a different ship. Yeah, I don't a, know what the name of that ship, of ship yeah. is, but oh, Thanos' ship is called Sanctuary 2. What was Sanctuary 1? Uh, so, do you really want me to go into this? Is, that, <laughs> is there a short, is that is there a short story? Every ship that Thanos has ever acquired since his exile from Titan, he is named and christened sanctuary because at that point in time it was his sanctuary from the rest of the world good that's, that's perfectly amazing Solid. that's that's exactly what i wanted um <laughs> you could have you could have said thanos just names all the ships sanctuary he had one before but so <laughs> no no that was better the still th- yeah, yours, better for sure yours, yours, yours. Uh, it comes through uh, a time hole vortex warp uh and and blasts into the avengers as they're snapping there's a brief moment of hope and Ant-Man going outside and realizing, you know, what I didn't notice the first time, but the second time I did is that he sees these birds and he's like, mm-hmm. those birds came back too. Like it was all of life that was gone, yeah. not just people. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, Clint and also gets a, a phone call from his wife, Laura. Mm-hmm. So we get that little moment, that little burst of hope. And then Thanos bombs and destroys entire Avengers HQ, which is so terrifying and it's like immediately the stakes are just through the roof and you know if yeah. Thanos gets that gauntlet it's all undone and then we get uh we get an epic showdown between Cap uh Iron Man and uh Thor and Thor between and Thanos. between Thanos and then it goes into just the most epic ba- they're like all right times a million here's the most epic battle you've ever seen uh and then we get the 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 epilogue which we'll talk about 
so I don't even know where to start. Where do we start? I think do we do we start with uh, the the face off between? Can we let's start at the bombing? Can I start at the bombing? The only reason I of, want to bring this yeah, up, of course, you please can. do. Sorry, is because do we get sanctuary sec- three? No, the, <laughs> the second time my wife and I watched this, she turned to me and she was like, "They're all dead." Like, there's no way any of these human characters survive this bombing. Like, we see Ant-Man, who's basically, like, at the... He's, like, the first one. He would be incinerated. Like, there's no way... She's well, like, there's turns, no way he had time to shrink. They kind of like, explain it. He gets small, and the Hulk grabs the roof. Right. Yeah, yeah Hulk is holding right. up the whole thing. No, again, like, when, when she had that qualm, I, I, in so many words, was basically, comics. like, because comics. <laughs> I know? said, I looked around, I said, man. <laughs> but oh, yeah, God. again, it's like one of one of these things where I <laughs> where I just don't I don't care. Like the movie's too good to like right? pick something like Sorry. that. Yeah, you just assume but, everybody's dead and you're just happy to see them all alive. Yeah, but back exactly. to back to seeing Cap Thor and Iron Man all together, like it was great to see because you saw they're essentially the trinity of the MCU. Out of yeah. the original six, they're the trinity, right? You saw the three of them together in the first Avengers. They have a scene where it's just the three of them in Age of Ultron. And then again in Endgame, the epic walk with the trinity walking up to Thanos. It was amazing. My nerd brain was just losing oh, it. <laughs> Dude, and seeing, th- seeing Thor summon down the lightning... And then j- the lightning just Wait, like skipping instantly braiding. Skipping <laughs> ahead. All right. Hey, all right, we got to right. build up to that. The movie just doesn't blow its load like that. <laughs> I want to do one of my nits, and this is that I absolutely, okay. through all these movies, hate the nano suits to a core. I hate it so much. I hate Spider-Man's Iron Spider suit. Like, this move, this part is epic, and all the great things about this movie overwhelm it. But I think the mo- the CGI in this movie is overwhelmingly good. I do not like that suit. It looks like a big fake muscle man with, with Iron Man stuff, you know? I was rewatching, like, Iron Man 3, for all of its faults, had, like, part of them had, like, real good physical suits. And I really miss the mechanical aspect. Like, War Machine looks incredible. Rescue looks incredible. Iron Man looks silly as fuck. And it's, it's- practical, though. Because you it never is. know when the shit's going to hit the fan. And he legit has a suit that can repair itself in his chest. And to, to give a good callback, there is actually a callback to um, it earlier when they're in New York when Tony Stark jumps off and flies down. And it looks almost identical to when he summons that. And it made me think of how much cooler that was when he arrived on deck and it took mechanically took off all the parts of his suit. And then he flew down and it was just pieces that flew and attached to him. And it was much more physical. I get that the nano suit's good. And hopefully they destroy all nano stuff for the upcoming MCU movies. Um, they won't. I, but I'm with I get you. It. I don't like the nano um, spider suit. I, I don't like the iron spider suit. It's not for me. And it could be because I'm kind of a comic book purist. I'm okay with having things be different. But I just feel like the, the, the design of the suit doesn't really work for me. Yeah, well, it's just everything's nano eyes now, and a Black Panther suit just appears on him. Everything just appears. It's like once you add a nanotechnology, uh, it's all kind of silly. I think at the end of the day, it works for what happens at the end of the climax. Like it is what makes the climax make sense, and it has a, actually a really sweet-looking thing that we'll talk about. Uh, but anyway, let's get to the fight. Uh, it, it, Iron Man really doesn't matter in this fight. He gets knocked out like a bitch pretty yep. quick by Thanos uh, again, which is sad. He, I mean, he straight gets cold-cocked knocked out. Um, I love that this is the Russos 
committing to a joke with Thor. He summons his hammer. His eyes turn blue and badass again. He gets his armor, and it wraps around his gut, and they just decided. <laughs> That's how it. the suit works, it. man. It's like, you're not going to make him muscular all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, he's, he's got to do some cardio. Like, it's going to take a few months to Eat shred that. Eat a salad. That. Yep, eat a salad. That's what <laughs> yes. Frigo wanted him to do. Dude, I like I was saying earlier, I love that the lightning just instantly braids his beard and is instant man bun. Like... Christian, as we were walking out of the IMAX theater, you made this awesome joke where you were like, I really wish they applied the nanotech to Thor so we could see his long hair get caught in the nanotech. Yeah, there's a point when he's leaving when he's leaving Asgard and uh, his you see Rocket's nano thing come up and, and go over his face. And I'm going, this is the perfect moment to just bullshit this nanotech of like this is what would really happen because he has so much fucking hair and it would flip up and get caught and like break and i was really hoping but they just cut away and they just solve it and i was like this is why i fucking hate nano fucking helmets and this is another great call out to the ultimate avengers because this is more of what thor looks like in the ultimate avengers storyline yeah which is where Stormbreaker comes from. In Ultimate Avengers, he doesn't have Mjolnir. He has Stormbreaker. So that's what he looks like. So it was a huge, like, nod to that, and I was losing my mind. Yeah, Um, This this whole scene just starts to go crazy. Like I said, with the dual-wielding Thor, him having Stormbreaker and Mjolnir. What were you going to say, Christian? Yeah, and then uh, Thor getting his ass kicked and then getting the the storm and then oh my god Thanos catching Stormbreaker when he's trying to recall it and then almost plunging it right into the same spot that uh, Thor put it in in the original Mm. even though Thanos definitely doesn't know that that happened so it's just kind of convenient right Uh, it's coincidental more than anything Uh, but I want to I want to I want to drop back a little bit Um, Thanos's speech in the turn in Thanos I think this is really important to talk about of where this Thanos is coming from as opposed to uh, Infinity War Thanos. Uh, what interesting thing? I thought this was the smartest decision for this villain, and made it made the stakes even go up uh, even more, and 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 feel even more weighty, and give Thanos a whole new menacing take. What do you guys think of this? Of, of Thanos stating his motivations at this point? So I love this shift in tone for Thanos because in the comic books, Thanos is savage as fuck, like. He is so hardcore, obviously uh, trying to court death and being in love with death. Like his main pursuit in life in the comics is to kill, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the Thanos we got in Infinity War is also an awesome portrayal of Thanos because he is this like kind of like a religious figure. Like you can kind of align with what he's trying to do, but he also isn't as savage as the, the Thanos in the comic books. Um, seeing a Thanos that's just like, really pissed and like really frustrated with the Avengers and is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure they die uh, was great. I loved, I love seeing him like this. And I, I love that the Russos were able to show us two different types of, of Thanos's over the course of infinity war and um, an end game. I actually wrote down a quote that he says, he says, uh, through all my years of conquest, violence, and slaughter, it was never personal. But I tell you now, what I'm about to do to your stubborn, annoying little planet, I'm going to enjoy it very, very much. Like, this is not the Thanos we saw in Infinity War. He is ready to 
kill these characters. Well, he saw them cut off his head. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. He did. Yeah, it's hard for me to say more than you guys have said about all this. Uh, I got in terms of the last third, I got lost in the action of this movie. In terms of uh, X Y Z, it's hard for me to even keep track at this point in the movie. But I definitely agree that uh, what happened with Thanos, where. I like how quickly he picked up on everything. It shows like how smart Thanos is, where he immediately sees like, oh, this is actually going to help me. This will make it easier. They're collecting it for me, you know, and coming to terms with um, it. It seemed almost like, did he know the Avengers? Um, was he aware he of them prior to this? Yeah. Okay. Be- okay. Because of their attack on his ship in the first Avengers, because of Tony ah, nuking of course. his ship. Okay. Okay. Was that Sanctuary so- 1? <laughs> Maybe. Callback. <laughs> I'm on the quest for Sanctuary One. <laughs> no, I love how like determined he is in how he 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 literally goes. Okay, well, accounting for the fact I didn't account for when I took out half of you, half of you'd be this pissed at me that you'd go back in time to fucking try to fix it. So apparently, yeah. I've got to go a step further and just annihilate all of you into the point where I make life that gives a shit that they have good life. Like you guys aren't appreciating what I've done for you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you guys are so only. Look, there's whales in the Hudson, and what are you doing? You're going back in time to piss on my grave. No, sir, I will not have any of this. No, sir, not at all. And I wish that was the speech that he actually gave. <laughs> I, I love that they gave him. I am so much more of a fan of of him with this like double wielded blade. That is a dude is it's the so coolest. What so much cooler balanced. Than the it's perfectly balanced. As Thanos all should be. Anyway, so <laughs> cutting through. So, thanks for letting me go on my rant about Thanos. Uh, James, did you have any thoughts on, on Thanos's? I do actually. So I I don't like Thanos in the comics. I think Thanos is very one dimensional. I find him very boring, and I I just don't care for it. In in this in Infinity War in the MCU, Thanos is someone in his own twisted way trying to save the universe and the future right. of existence mm-hmm. in his own twisted way. And in Endgame, after he sees the stubbornness of humanity. He decides in that moment, he pretty much pulls a dark side. In like for Dark Side in DC, his goal is to find the anti-life equation to yep. start everything completely over because he knows that the people in existence will never conform to his ways. So he just wants to start over existence. And I love that they the Russos took Thanos kind of in that direction. He's like, Well, you you're obviously not happy with what everything that I've done for you, the future that I set up for you. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna wipe out all life and we're just gonna start over and do everything my way. You know what I mean? And his conviction, he is he believes in his bullshit. Yep. And yeah. it's like it's it's an incredible arc for that character all the way until he has dusted himself. Yeah. It's so good. Uh so we get the fight ensuing. Thor and Iron Man knocked out. And we get Cap in probably my favorite moment in any comic book movie in ever. I audibly went, Woo! I, I never do that. I'm never <laughs> yes. that excited. <laughs> but we get the hammer that throws, and I immediately knew. I was like, fucking Cap's going to have that hammer. And I knew it, but it's still when he catches it. And I was like, dude, how is this happening right now? How am I so excited that there's a dude in a blue outfit with a hammer, and I'm like losing my mind? And it's because this movie's, or like this series has just earned that moment and teased it. And made that such an important part. And then we get uh, Captain America whooping Thanos up, but doing a good... Adi- I would say he does the third most damage to Thanos in this whole fight, if we're going to rank who beats up Thanos that. the most. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then and then the shield breaking. Oh, my God. Like, 
again, seeing his shield break and uh, getting the desperation, getting kicked to pieces. And then we hear Falcon and we get the arrival of everybody. When they show up, the the, the callback to on your left just broke me. It broke me. (laughs) So incredible. And it's just so simple. And unexpected, out of nowhere. I, I, I just loved it. I loved it absolutely. <laughs> you know, the moment I was thinking both times I've seen this movie is when all the Avengers come through the portal, and it's all these characters we know, and then it goes to Thanos's army, and I went, you know what? Thanos doesn't have friends. <laughs> the Avengers, they have friends. We know these yeah. people. Well, he has an army. <laughs> Where did Valkyrie get the Pegasus? Yeah, I do. <laughs> no one knows, but who gives a shit? Because it looked awesome, badass. So, yes. <laughs> so. To answer that question, this is my headcanon, and it's only coming from what I know of uh, Ragnarok in the comics, and that all the Asgardians kind of like hide in regular humans, right? Once they're in, is it is it Oklahoma? Wait, you, is where wait. they settle New Asgard? I think in the comics. What do you mean they hide in? Humans? I think so. So when they go to Earth, when when Asgard's <laughs> destroyed and they go to Earth in the comic books, they all become like regular people, basically. But they can summon their Asgard powers just like Thor can in the comic books. Like, they all function the same way Thor does. Anyway, mm-hmm. chances are that Pegasus was just a regular fucking horse that she turned back into a Pegasus <laughs> to go into the battle. Because, <laughs> like, we don't know if, like, all the fishermen that we're seeing when they go to, to Tonsberg in Norway are Asgardians or if they're regular people that are coexisting with the Asgardians in that town. Yeah, because so, all the Asgardians have all their outfits and stuff, because they're calling right. that down and can summon it. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I want to take a couple steps back here. Back to Captain America picking up Mjolnir. Like, I, in my my 31 years of life on this planet, have never, ever cried happy tears in a movie. <laughs> I am right there with you, my dude. And... I, I'm I'm perfectly comfortable admitting that something happened in my brain <laughs> when when Cap picked up Mjolnir. Like even right now, I can't even handle this. From Captain America picking up Mjolnir to him saying Avengers assemble, something broke in me yes. where like I was crying happy tears. Like ask you can ask my wife, when the hammer first goes into his hands. There was like a lip quiver in the theater. I was like, <gasps> when he like, summons even... lightning for the first time, dude, I'm like, what is happening? How yeah, am I, I this lucky? <laughs> I couldn't even contain myself. And even the second time we, we saw the movie, like, I couldn't. Oh, you were moving. St- you started repositioning yourself. You're like, I just need to embrace this moment right now. <laughs> that Christian, when we saw it yesterday, that wasn't even the second time. Like, no, that was like the seventh time you watched the movie. It was my fifth time excited. seeing the movie. It was my fifth time seeing the movie. Brilliant and I still fighter. Because yes. you see him using the shield and the hammer at the same time. Oh, it's so he cool. He throws the shield and throws the hammer. They hit oh each other God. and create a shockwave that pushes Thanos back. And then he hits him with the lightning again. I was losing my shit. It was <laughs> so cool. I've only wanted to see this in cinema my entire life. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking crazy. <laughs> so we anyway. Get, just to move along, we get, because I, I need to go the fuck to sleep at some point tonight as much as I'm having fun. Um, we, we follow, the action devolves into a chase for the gauntlet. There's some stuff, uh, I would say, not the highlight of the battle, but still important of Hawkeye and Hulk underneath the rubble. 
they've come up from there and they've got the gauntlet and they're trying to get it to the van. And I think the original plan is that they're trying to send the stones back immediately. Right. Like trying to get the stones out of there. And that plan is thwarted. And uh, then we get uh, our final moments with Iron Man. Uh, but to go, we'll cover the battle a bit. Some of your favorite moments in this. I really like the callback to insta-kill for Spider-Man. Uh, again, oh, yeah. just yeah. that one line rewards the entire viewing of Homecoming, uh, which is which is really fun. Uh, we get our girl power moment, which I need to get all of your thoughts on girl power moment. Uh, mine are mixed. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about girl power moment for a bit. Uh, when all the girls all, like, Captain Marvel show. Oh, so Captain Marvel shows up in Annihilate. She deasect her 30% of her porpoise, porpoise purpose in this film is to annihilate Sanctuary 2. I know that now. I feel like a true nerd. <laughs> um, she just flies through it because that's what she does to spaceships. She flies through them uh, and destroys it. And uh, Deus Ex Machina is the shit out of that spaceship. And then comes down to Earth, and she's got to uh, get the get the gauntlet to the van, and all the girls surround her and go, she's not alone. And all the superhero, the girl, female superheroes, minus Black Widow, because she's dead, uh, appear around her and help her get to... By help her, I mean fight some other people around her, and she flies through everybody anyway. Uh, right. What did you guys think of our little girl power moment? This was one I of personally, those. Sorry, go, go for ahead, it, James. Chris. You first. Nope, James, you first. Go for it. This Brian, was one of those ahead. moments where I wanted to jump out of my seat and cheer. Right, seeing Captain Marvel next to Scarlet Witch, next to Pepper in an Iron Man suit, next to Okoye, next to Shuri, next to Gamora, next to Nebula. This is a mind blowing moment. Next, um, um, Valkyrie as well. Like this was mind blowing. I loved everything about seeing these incredibly powerful women all together it's not just a dude show like these women are incredibly powerful and i love that we got to see more of scarlet witch's true potential because in the comics she is so fucking powerful that thanos would not stand a chance without the gauntlet so being able to see her push back thanos in that small moment i was losing my mind i absolutely loved that sequence well she basically beats him he has to like use the rain fire to to he was gonna she was going to kill him right like she was going to die by she was she was going to murder him and yeah. he only saved it by bombing the entire battlefield uh but let's go back to girl power chris tell me about how you feel about girl power this scene really worked for me as well i know that uh feelings on this scene are mixed in the community um but i really enjoyed it and my wife also really enjoyed this scene. She was very excited to see all these female heroes finally converging uh, in, in one scene. And like, <laughs> this is going to, I don't know how this is going to come across, but like, if my wife likes this scene, then like, I'm deferring to her opinion. Like, if I know some women did not feel as though this this like was a good scene for them, which I don't understand, and that's fine. Everyone is entitled to their own opinions. But like, some of them felt like the girl power may have been too on the nose. And like, I can see that. But like, if my, if my wife thinks that this scene is awesome and I think that this scene is awesome, then I would say that this scene is a good scene and a good moment for all these female characters. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. This, this works for me. And I, in terms of people, um, not thinking it works, thinking it's on the nose. I think the writers at this point in the MCU are maybe trying to overcompensate a little bit, but I'm all for it. It's like we got our Captain Marvel movie, we finally got a female uh, female lead in one of these movies, and now they're showing us that like, look, 
these these women have always been badass, and even Nebula's arc throughout this movie and her yeah. becoming super meaningful, I think was was really awesome. Um, it works for me, and it shows that these movies are coming. Like the female led movies are going to be a, a huge part of the future of the MCU. I'm, I'm sure. So even if it is a bit on the nose, I think it works for me and shows that the, the writers are getting a little more hip to like, okay, you gotta, you yep. gotta be a little more conscious with these characters. A force all the way, baby. I will say that I have only met one woman out of the tens of women that I've asked about the scene that doesn't like it. So, mm-hmm. so overwhelmingly women really like this scene. And so I don't want to take away from that. I would say that, Brian, you're on the nose when you're saying it's overcompensating. I don't think this moment is earned in the way that it is. You know, it's a very similar shot to our Avengers uh, first film, right? Where we get this hero shot of all the heroes and it's circling them, right? And that shot yeah. works. Unequivocally, everybody who likes these movies goes, that shot works. And it's because uh, we saw a bunch of movies with all these characters in their own movies. And then they were uh, separate. They came together. Then they were separated by their own egos and came back together and get their shit together to fight off. And that poses right as they're getting their shit together. Uh, none of these characters have met each other <laughs> in the MCU. Like they, none of them know each other's names. Like maybe a couple of them do. And I am for giving uh, women the spotlight. And I think I think I, like I said with, when we were talking about Captain Marvel, I think Marvel has dropped the ball on doing women way too late to the game on this. Like. They got beat by DC, and they really need to to yeah. to, to, to work on this going forward. Mm-hmm. I I would have. I mean, personally, again, I don't want to take anything away. I would appreciate it if it was more accidental because it intentionally doesn't make sense. Because again, the characters don't know each other, and also Captain Marvel doesn't really need them. It's not like they make Captain Marvel flies through all of them, everybody in front of her without any resistance whatsoever. She's the last person she needs to have backup for, right? And so I would have preferred to see them coincidentally kind of in a splash page fighting around each other and backing up into each other and being like, Oh, Hey, what's up? And you know, kind of it working a little more naturally. It's like just 100% agreed. Um, I can see yeah. that. Uh, so they did it the way they did it. And I think it looks cool. I just don't think out of all the shots that we get, this is specifically earned and it sucks that it has to turn into like a sexist conversation. Cause I really don't want to make it that it really isn't that it's just, if you were to take the gender away from these characters, they don't know each other. So, uh, mm-hmm. that that's where it kind of falls apart for me, but, uh, I'm glad a lot of people love it and I hope the MCU does more of this stuff and it makes more sense in the future. Uh, yeah. That's what I would say to that. Uh, cool. So, uh, going going through this, let's get this wrap to the end. You get you get to the last the last bit. You get Captain Marvel going forward and having a really cool standoff. And I really thought Captain Marvel was going to close this thing out for a second because she gets that headbutt from Thanos and just doesn't even blink. And That's I'm like, an awesome oh, he's, I was like, he's fucked. <laughs> like <laughs> he's done. But then he warps the power center and hits her, and you're like, oh shit. Uh, and then we get the moment where Tony just looks at Strange, and Strange pulls up one finger and goes like, dude, mm-hmm. this is it, man. Um, and then he gets in a tussle with Thanos. I wasn't sure the first time, but now I'm a little more educated on what probably happened. I think it's a little too quick, but, uh, uh, Iron Man has to make the ultimate sacrifice. He puts on the gauntlet, oddly enough, doesn't get any of that shooting pains that everybody else was getting. <laughs> He's a uh, cool comic collector. You see a little bit of struggle, but, um, we don't get, I would have, I would have really loved if he was struggling with it. And when he said, I am Iron Man before he snapped, uh, he sounded like old school Iron Man, where it's like Iron Iron Man. I thought, that would be, like, I, <laughs> oh I, I wanted God. that. Maybe it would have been too much, but that would have been way too much. I would have done it, but I, I think delivers a great performance. Uh, and we also get Thanos going, "I'm inevitable," and having the fake snap, which is great. And then we have the great sacrifice of Tony Stark. And we'll get to that epilogue in a bit. But what do you guys think of, of of this sequence? Yeah, so I I love this because I mean, watching it a second time, 
you realize what Tony was doing the whole time. He's only holding on to the gauntlet long enough for the nanotech to pull the stones into place. And I give I give him not being in pain a slight pass because the energy is going through the suit, right? So I feel like it has to the suit is regulating it enough for him to get through it and obviously the snap itself pretty much kills him. Yeah. So in my mind the suit is regulating the energy enough for him to get through the snap and then we get it and it's a it's a great sacrifice man. I feel like it comes full circle. Iron Man in the first film at the very beginning was a very selfish man who didn't care about anything else but himself and he makes the ultimate sacrifice to save trillions. I think it's poetic and beautiful and I feel like it was a perfect way for him to go out and for Tony to defeat Thanos. I completely agree. I I mean there really isn't too much more I can say. Like the way they bookended the beginning of the MCU with him acknowledging that he's Iron Man and then uh, his life ending with him saying, I'm Iron Man. Uh, I, I, it was great, man. It was a great moment. Yeah, can't, can't agree more. I, I will say that I only saw it once, and I was a bit confused with how, the, how they functionally got the stones from Thanos. I'll have to watch it again. It seems like it's, it's a little clearer that second time. But I was all for it anyway. It didn't take me out of it. And once I knew what was going to happen, it was oh, just heartbreaking. I agree with you, Chris, completely. The perfect end to his arc and uh, self-sacrifice it's it's the what the heroes do and i think everyone gets their gets their moment and and foreshadowed a bit in the first avengers i mean he he mm. decides to do that and he is makes saved the by, sacrifice play he yep. makes the sacrifice play so many plays in that first avengers movie uh and he he is ready to die at that point uh in avengers yeah. and kind of gets a glimpse into his future and then gets kind of the chance to continue his journey uh, so I think this has been foreshadowed, you know, before, and it's kind of what this has all been leading up to. And I think, yeah, it's the perfect end to Iron Man's story, which is what kicked off this entire thing. I don't think there was any other choice as to who would be doing this. And as far as how he got the stones, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, nerds, uh, it's uh, that the glove he made is nanotech, and so is his glove. So he was able to switch the nano. Like, the na- he controls it and, and has the nano bots move yeah. the stones into his. Yeah, Deus Ex nanotech. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. A, a cheap, a cheap thing because nanos. Um, it explains everything. I, I really do like in this moment. Just to add one more thing, that Thanos is so preoccupied in the moment and and so arrogant, and like he he's he thinks he's going to be successful that he doesn't even recognize that the energy is no longer coursing through him. In that True. moment, he just snaps because he's just blinded by confidence. He thinks it's going to happen for him because he's seen it happen for him already. Uh, and I think that's his downfall in that moment. I thought that uh, for a second, because the fir- the stone on the thumb is the time stone, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And so when he pulls away, I noticed the time stone wasn't there. That was the first thing I noticed. And so I didn't think that he grabbed all of them. I thought Tony grabbed the time stone and was going to give it to Strange to do something time stony. Um, but I think this was ultimately the better call. But it was kind of yeah, misleading for me because I didn't see all of them. And when I saw that Tony had all of them, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um and uh, yeah, I was a little, I was a little disappointed in this whole battle. I thought we were going to get Marvel's Capcom 2 repulsor blast, giant <laughs> mech gun. And I think it would have been ridiculous. And it's, I'm glad it didn't happen, but I kind of still wanted it. Because if you're going to do nanobots, then summon the giant robot. In Marvel's Capcom 2, his finisher, his, he summons a giant robot yeah. cannon. 
uh, nerd in me kind of wanted it to. There were rumors that we were going to get that cannon on War Machine, but uh, I'm, I'm I too am glad that that never came to fruition. Yeah, we did get a um, we got the sec. Is it? I want to say it's only the second repulsor blast from his chest um, when he teams up with Rescue at the very beginning of the fight. Because he doesn't do that a lot in these movies, where he shoots a beam from his chest. He's done it to he did it to destroy Bucky's arm, mm-hmm. and he does it at the beginning of this fight. Is there any other? Because that's such um, a classic. He does Iron it Man. in the first Iron Man. He, he does, movie. yeah, he does do it in the first Iron Man. Oh, interesting. Yeah, cool. Anyway, so we move on to the funeral, the sad yes. funeral, and we we close Tony's arc. We see proof that tony stark has a heart which pretty much like i was holding it together until i saw that and then that's when the movie just cheated um (laughs) and then we get captain america's uh story wrapped up so let's let's first start with tony's this funeral scene is beautiful and uh other than the kid looking directly into the camera during the pan (laughs) shot uh i think it's really well done the moment that gets me isn't even the proof that tony stark has a heart but it's at the very end of his monologue and he's looking Morgan directly in the eye. Uh, and the, he's, he's almost looking the audience directly in the eye. And he just says, I love you 3,000. And then that's the last thing oh we hear from God. Tony Stark. Which is, we didn't mention this earlier, but it's a callback to something that Morgan, his little girl, tells him um, before she goes to bed. Uh, that's when I lose it completely. Like, I just can't keep it together anymore. Um, it's a very sweet moment. And people are going to be saying "I love you" three thousand forever. Like I've been saying it to my girlfriend all day. Same. <laughs> like I can't. St- like it's. I it's said it gonna... when I was leaving work, and everybody who had seen the movie went, "Oh!" Like, <laughs> audibly <laughs> groaned and like, "Oh, why'd you have to stab yeah. at that wound again?" It's just so sweet, and uh, it's a it's a very good callback. Brian, did this get you in the feels? Oh, for sure. That I love that from the beginning. I. Iron Man one is one of my favorites in the MCU, as as we know from my uh, from last week's uh, top five. But yeah, the Tony has a heart, and I I love you three thousand. This is another thing that that I'd forgotten. Only having seen this movie once, it, I feel I feel like a terrible movie watcher at this point. But completely worked for me, and yeah, I think it's the perfect end into his arc and going into the next portion. That's that's what really got me, but. <laughs> Uh, I won't. I won't uh, spoil the lead here before we get into it. You know, just the moment where uh, Happy Hogan is is giving his con- you know condolences to Morgan and saying, "I'm going to buy you all the cheeseburgers you want." Reference back to when uh, Robert Downey Jr. ate a bunch of Burger King when he came back from mm-hmm. Iraq. And, ugh, all this is just making me ball. Were you guys Were you guys visibly crying like insanely during this part? Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. This was just one of the many scenes that I cried, man, because. I love comic book movies. I love movies in general, and I get really invested in things that I love. And I just, I, I lost it, man. In the same place that you did, Chris, as soon as I saw the hologram telling Morgan and essentially the audience, I love you 3000, like, I, I, I just lost it. And then we got the proof that Tony Stark still has a heart. We see everyone that showed up to the funeral, Nick Fury, the Guardians, the Avengers, even the kid from Iron Man three was there. Yeah, like it was so. It was good to see him because I mean I felt like they had great chemistry, and it's like man, Tony's gone. When Peter breaks down right before the funeral and he just starts crying, Mister Stark, Mister Stark, like it broke me, man. And this entire funeral sequence is just—it's terrible. It's it's I, it's terrible to see such an incredible character go. 
But it's also it is terrible. But it's also I feel fitting and uh, a beautiful end to his arc as a whole. Definitely, but it, it's it's hard to watch. Like, I, and that's kind of why I, I, in a in a weird way, I kind of struggle with this movie a little bit because I don't want to watch Tony Stark die every single time I watch this movie. But it's still like one of my favorite Marvel movies. Yeah, I uh, I agree completely, and I think that it was important that they had a good fitting end for one of our main characters, and I think Tony was definitely the best pick given everything that he's been in this entire series. And it's still like a hopeful death. He leaves behind a child and a lot of inspired characters. Yeah. Um, I'm a Pepper telling him that he can rest. Oh my right. god! Oh my god! Yeah, um, could, yeah. Because he's been having trouble. Like he's literally been plagued since the first Avengers with the weight of humanity and trying to protect it, and knowing that he's the one that can protect it. Right, and the ability. Yeah, this it's, it plays back to a lot of what we what we've seen from Tony. Um, I don't know why Peter Quill and, and Gamora and stuff couldn't wear a, a damn suit. Um, None of them got a suit. They're just wearing their Guardians outfits. Come on, guys. Drax, Drax put on a black vest. He kind of dressed really? up. Did oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. he really? Yeah. I think they it's fitting of the they Guardians, had, They had though. black. Yeah. They, it was like their outfits, but in black, basically. And then, of so, course, I mean, Captain Marvel's wearing a pantsuit. <laughs> Damn pantsuit at a funeral. Show some respect, Brie Larson. <laughs> Cut your hair. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God, dude. <laughs> um. No, it's a nice pantsuit. What am I saying? Uh, so we move on, and I think the movie was smart to end on a very hopeful note, and we get the wrap-up to Captain America's story. He goes back in time, returns the stones, doesn't come back, and we see him as an old man. And probably one of the most confusing, if you think about it too much, when it comes to timelines and paradoxes, <laughs> like, it's really confusing why he would be in their timeline, um, being that he would have, no matter what he would have done, he probably offset the their timeline so why is he in it the way um, go ahead please, oh, please do you want do you want to explain it james or do you want me to why don't no, you guys go, go every other word okay so <laughs> um the the way i explain it is uh what we've learned from time travel in this universe is that whenever you change something you create a divergent timeline right so basically cap goes back he puts everything back where it's supposed to be and then decides to live with peggy in a divergent timeline while still keeping the device that allows him to travel back to the M- the prime MCU timeline. So basically, he lives out a complete happy life, knows exactly where Bucky and Sam and, and Banner are going to be and what day they're going to be there, uses the device to come back to the prime timeline to give Sam the shield, and then that's it. So we don't really... None of that is explained in the film, and it was one of the things that I kind of struggled with a little bit after seeing the movie. But, like, that's basically how I would explain uh, this potential, you know, time, time-breaking time moment. But it's such a beautiful moment. Like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There were some people that were upset that Cap gave his shield to Falcon and not Bucky. Uh, this didn't upset me because this seemed like... Bucky is kind of his uh, his peer, and and Falcon is the future. And not only the, that, but the Winter Soldier is a terrorist. Exactly, and the public knows him as a terrorist. Like Sam Wilson is a soldier and has served in right. the U.S. military. Like it makes it makes more sense. Like yeah, in the comic books, Bucky got the shield first, but I think this makes way more sense for like the the realistic nature of the MCU. What do you think, James? Uh, it's exactly what you said. I mean, it's it's like what Batman thinks in the Nolan trilogy. 
Captain America is a symbol of hope and peace. Although it wasn't Bucky's fault, he is known to the entire planet as a terrorist that's murdered people for 70 years. He you know kicks, what I mean? He's the type of dude who kicks people into propellers, innocent yeah. <laughs> innocent pilots. And I, I also <laughs> and I also think for diversity, it already happens in the comics. The smart thing for them to do is to give the shield to Falcon. Agreed. You know what I mean? I felt like it was it was fitting for, for all of the reasons that we, we just mentioned. It was right for the shield to go to Falcon. I agree. The only thing I'm upset about is uh, Anthony Mackie's beard. I think it looks really stupid, particularly. <laughs> he needs to shave it. I don't know if he's lost his chin. Anyway, I digress. But like, Bucky, it- Bucky knew that Cap wasn't coming back immediately. Yeah. He knew his friend, and he knew that he just he was not going to come back if he knew that he was going to have a second chance at being with Peggy. That's why he doesn't I, even look surprised. Yeah, but. I would assume that Steve probably even went as far as telling him what his game plan was, you know, because Bucky even says, I'm going to miss you, buddy. And then they have that awesome reverse exchange where he's like, don't do anything stupid till I get back. And he says, how can I? You're taking all the stupid with you. That's like a reverse of what they said to each other in the first Avenger film. Um I also think that's why Bucky isn't upset that Cap gives the shield to Sam because he already knew that Cap planned on coming back to give the shield to Sam in the end. So, yeah, and I love that moment, that line from Cap. I think I think um, this is some of the best acting uh, from uh, Chris Evans. Uh, his old man performance is fantastic. And when she's like, yeah. "You're gonna tell me about Anthony Mackie?" He's like, "You gonna tell me about her?" And he's like, "No, I don't think I will." That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so perfect. Yeah, what a great uh what a great ending. And uh, watching and close, yeah, watching him and Peggy the, yeah. dancing to the song that was playing in the first Avenger when she walks in in the red dress, I started crying again. I'm in a glass case of emotion. But they also, Chris, you were telling me this is also the song they're playing when Nick Fury's in Cap's apartment. Yeah, this yes. is the song that's playing on his record player, which turns out this was the most popular song of that year, I think. Oh, okay. So like that's that's just like a nice I guess a nice callback to that era. Like Cap is listening to the most popular music from when he was younger. <laughs> right. Well, I think we've expressed how much we love this movie and there's so much to dive into and we may have other follow-ups and conversations about this. We are running extremely long. This might break the record for the longest single episode of Popaholics. Uh, do you guys have any quick final thoughts? I really want it to be brief. <laughs> this movie's awesome. It's all the things we've said that is in the last three hours. Yeah, this movie's great. Um, I, I think it takes slot of my favorite mcu movie oh really oof yeah it's up there so for me i love everything about this movie incredible performances again great laughs things that scenes that pull at the heartstrings it combines my favorite things about film i love time travel movies i love heist movies i love comic book movies and this is everything that i could ever ask for all rolled into one and more so this is 100% my favorite MCU film of all time. Yeah, it's a well bold put, sir. That's a bold claim. I like I said, I think it's the best ending cuz I think that it's so hard to do a good ending um and we rarely have seen them to these big sagas. I still have to say that at least in the I, I have a week of aftermath from from watching this film, seeing it twice. I saw to say I think Civil War still takes the cake as as my favorite. Um, because it's big, but it's not as big. It's tight. It's very domestic, and it, it feels a little more contained. That being said, I think this makes it up into my top five for sure. Um, 
you know, it's it's probably in the top three too. So I'd, I'd have to give it some thought and uh, and watch it again. Uh, but it's definitely up there, and and definitely I can't think of a better way they could have ended it. That's not to take anything away from this movie. This movie is magnificent. It's ridiculously epic, expansive, and satisfying in a way that I really couldn't have expected. Even having loved Infinity War and been blown away by that and the boldness uh, with which they handled it, there there was a level of, okay, you know, this is a fake emotional payoff, maybe, and they're, they're clearly going to bring all these characters back. You can't kill off all our favorite heroes. But they, they really went for it, and the way they show that even some of the minor, more minor characters with movies that... Um, maybe don't stand out on people's top lists. It brings us back to them and shows us that all of this has been building towards Thanos and building towards this uh, universe-saving moment where the heroes will overcome, overcome Thanos. And we've talked about it a bit throughout the, throughout the month, but what really interests me, and Christian brought it up uh, a bit earlier in this podcast, the religious undertones here and the inversion of some religious um, religious ideas, and specifically Christian ideas, um, in, in this set at least. Thanos has this god complex. He feels himself uh, a savior, and that you know he's doing good for the world, and he should be appreciated for that. And when he sees that hostility is all that they have for him because of all that he's taken away with his atrocious acts. He just becomes a petulant child and says, screw it. I'm going to destroy the sandcastle and start over and build it up in my image completely to have full control. And you really see that he does not care about these people at the end of the day. He cares cares about self-aggrandizement and being in control, even if he claims to be coming from a place of goodwill. So I just, I really find it interesting that these type of stories can be told in a non-religious context. And because they are so vast, they can have this huge emotional weight and maybe even some subconscious resonance from humanity having um, listened to these type of stories over time um, throughout the course of, of human history. And it's just working for me. Uh, I loved this movie. I can't wait to see it again. I know I said it already, but um, just having had this discussion with you guys, it has made me want to immediately go watch this movie. And if it wasn't so late in the night, I, I may be able to. Because I know they had like 2 o'clock showings of this movie, 2 a.m. showings that may still be going. It's it's just crazy on that level, too. I don't think we talked about how much money, the insane amount of money this movie made. But uh, the people are clearly... Uh, responding positively and it makes me really hopeful for for these movies um we touched on how you know they were a little late to the game with having a female-led movie with captain marvel and i think they're moving in the right direction the writing is getting so good the foresight you know we started with iron man we um they didn't know what they could build towards but they had an idea for if they could get there if if people picked up on it and it caught, they had this bigger plan. And going forward, knowing that they have the audience and starting even more so, I think from the beginning, the writing can get even tighter with these sorts of 
seven, 10, 20 movie long arcs that really excites me because I've only gotten to comics later in my life. And I know the, um, the annual type of crossover things can seem gimmicky, but I think this is done in such a way where it's bringing back this sort of, um, the sort of idea of annuals in a way that uh, a modern audience that maybe wouldn't gravitate towards comics or isn't reading as much in general, maybe, um, can still get these sorts of giant universal ideas in their entertainment and just have a good time watching it. Uh, I know most people probably aren't digging too deeply into religious undertones, and I probably overanalyze on that. But the fact that it has this stuff and it can be dug into and there's all these Easter eggs, it's just incredible what what Marvel has done in creating this cinematic universe. And I'm really excited to see where they go from here. And um, we got Far From Home on the way too, the official end of Phase 4, which I'm sure we will discuss when, when we all see that. But um, I love this movie. I'm going to see it again probably this weekend, if not sooner. Um, yeah, it's super good. Uh, go see it. If you listen to all this and haven't seen it, then you're a weird person. Why are you listening to us tell you the plot of the entire movie? That's a very strange but also, thing. You should evaluate yourself. Thank you so much for listening. I guess, but you're a freak and I don't want you listening to the show. <laughs> James, it was so, so good to have you. You're going to have, you were telling us that for your special, for your patrons, you're going to have this, uh, your Endgame review um, on Careful for Spoilers. That when can we, when can fans expect that? Yeah, um, it's, what date is Monday? Um, I can't, I can't remember right now. Um, Monday's the 6th. Yeah. So on May the 6th, um, for all patrons, you guys will have the Avengers Endgame complete breakdown available to you guys. And then all other listeners will be able to listen to the podcast a week later on that following Monday. Awesome. Very cool. So check that out. Uh, very excited to hear, uh, that episode. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Chris, thank you as always. Brian! Thanks everyone for uh, for listening and uh, hope you enjoyed our month-long retrospective. As for Brian, Chris, uh, I'm saying Audi. Thank you guys for listening so much and catch next week's episode next Wednesday where we'll be talking about insert theme here. <laughs> time travel, I believe. We're going to be referencing time travel movies. Yeah. I think that's the plan in light of everything in Endgame. Cool, guys. Check out our episodes, rate us five-star reviews, all that stuff. Tell your friends. Have a great night. Have a great week. We love you 3,000. James, did you want to say bye? I'm good.